We're in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Port Tower Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by college basketball analyst and Midwest regional scout Jared Sutton is here as we will go around the Big 12 Conference with Jared when he joins us coming up in a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's football picks presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as We'll preview this weekend's NFL playoff action, go over the top storylines around the NFL. We'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week, our Big 12 breakdown, and more. As uh, joining me today is Derek Hacklin in for Thomas Bridges, who is off this week. Derek, appreciate you joining us, man. Always a pleasure. And I'll say this much, uh, very exciting stuff ahead for you. We can't give out any details or anything, but... uh, Things uh, are, are on the up and up. I'm, I'm very happy for you and can't wait till you uh, share what's going on, man. Thank you. First of all, it's nothing illegal. Um, <laughs> I, not, I may or may not have just gotten back from Puerto Rico. That is um, neither confirmed nor denied. Um, but yeah, you know, super excited, ready to uh, hopefully get this next chapter going. Obviously, like we said, legality reasons and other things, we can't necessarily um, bring it up. You know, we don't talk about Bruno um on this uh on this show but uh i always love filling in for uh for thomas bridges uh thank you again for having me on i just wonder you know i I haven't heard from thomas since the rams came to kansas city and got their ass put by the chiefs because i remember over the summer he said it was going to happen and it didn't happen yeah and uh then they had to call baker mayfield to kind of save the day this season that's that's how bad things got in LA this year. So Baker Mayfield uh, got Nathaniel Hackett fired. That's if anything, if nothing else good happens the rest of Baker Mayfield's career, Rams fans take solace in knowing that Baker Mayfield Broncos fans take solace in knowing that Baker Mayfield was the reason that Nathaniel Hackett got fired. Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh that that worked out the uh the way that it did. You know, Derek, I, I'm sure you've uh you've been you've been hung over a time or two over the years. There's no there's no hangover like the Rams Super Bowl hangover they had. I, I've oh never, God, no! Like I, they, they didn't take any medication. <laughs> they didn't drink any coffee. They didn't have any any water. I mean, no. they were hungover, and they probably should have gone to the hospital. Yeah, when win or lose, they booze, baby. That's uh, that's what I think the Rams thing was. I know Bruce Arians is retired, um, but yeah, I mean, it just it, it it's it's crazy because. You know, the worst record ever by a defending Super Bowl champion. Um, they never even came close to sniffing the playoffs. But I, I feel like we should have taken note of how their season was probably going to play out on opening night when the Bills went into L.A. and just smacked them around like a redheaded stepchild. I kind of feel like that that now being the past was a predictor of their future. Yeah, it was uh, something else right off the jump. Have you ever had a hangover like what the Rams went through? Uh, I could say probably one time. I had a buddy who got married back in 2018, and um, that was the worst hangover of my life. I woke up that day knowing I'm like, I'm going to puke at some point. Once, probably multiple times today. And uh, it it took me a day and a half to get over that hangover. And I can just remember um, one night I I, I went to – to Burger King and grabbed a double Whopper with cheese and the large fries and the biggest Sprite you could find. And that still didn't help. Oh my gosh. I mean, you went to BK of all places. That's before the Whopper, Whopper, double Whopper, single, double, triple. 
Yeah. Whopper, Whopper, just... Whopper Junior, double, triple, yeah. flame grilled taste with perfect toppers. I want this day. Lettuce, mayo, pickle, ketchup. It's okay if I don't want the impossible bow while bacon Whopper. Any Whopper my way. You rule your season today at BK. Have it your way. You rule, Derek. Uh, uh, I appreciate that. Have you I... heard? I, uh, me and my, one of my producers at Chat Sports, we came up with a song for that about, about DK Metcalf. I have not heard the DK Metcalf. The, the, the DK song, it goes like this. Chomping, chomping, carols, chomping, Gino passes, no one stopping DK. <laughs> Touchdowns all day. He rules. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I'll take DK over BK any day. BK is for nasty. sure. BK, for sure. What? I mean, you you were so so hungover. You you actually ate Burger King. I did. Yeah, I did. Chick Fil A was closed on Sunday, so that couldn't help. Um, but I had to go somewhere that was quick, close, and convenient. Um, and I wasn't. It was the closest thing that had grease. I needed grease that day, man. I mean, if you're at a Burger King. Derek, I mean, you're in the same neighborhood as probably a gun shop, a pawn shop, a uh, nasty ass gas station, and a, a Walmart and a liquor store. Yep, there's all those and a Walmart too. Um, yes, uh, right, right across the street. Like Burger King, they don't take the McDonald's mentality of being a real estate company. Like they are in the shittiest locations you can find yeah and and the hardest locations to get in and out of too like you you it, it's not gonna be an easy trip in and out and it I wasn't mean, but i just i, I hang, had to have grease that day your hangover going to the bk it's like yeah. okay why am i in this neighborhood hungover i don't know how i got here i'm gonna get yeah. my bk and i'm getting out of here alive i'm just happy to be That's, here. yep that's exactly what I did. I needed to get it, eat it, and get the grease in my system. What a beautiful start to uh, the show here uh, this week. Uh, Derek, let's, let's talk about these uh, NFL playoffs here, uh, getting going this weekend, the divisional round. And I got to say, I think my my big takeaway, looking back at the wild card round and setting up for this this weekend, was that, you know, you had two blowout games, what the Cowboys did to the Bucks, and then what the Niners did to the Seahawks, although that was competitive for about two and a half quarters anyway, compared yeah. to the Cowboys-Bucks game that just was never competitive at all. But yeah. other than that, I mean, you look across the board, the Dolphins gave the Bills everything they could handle. The Ravens gave the, the uh, Bengals everything they could handle. Obviously, the Jags and Chargers was a great game here. I mean – in the years past, we've seen the gap from the two seed to the seven seed be this wide, you know. And, yeah. and this year, it, it it seems like the teams are a little closer, that gap is, than maybe we anticipated going into the postseason. Well, and I think you got to take into account, too, the fact that, you know, you bring up the Bengals, you bring up the Bills, that those were division teams playing each other for the third time. Um, I think in the in the Dolphins case, had Mike McDaniel learned anything about clock management, you know, in his time studying everything at Harvard, um, you know, he might have had the Dolphins in a better position, you know, for Skylar Thompson, local kid, local plug, you know, 
covered him when he was in high school at Fort Osage. Great kid. Covered him when he was at Kansas State. That's an awesome story. He played his ass off. And I feel like they lost that game in spite of Mike McDaniels because of his mishaps and how. I don't think Mike McDaniels is as great as people say he is. I don't see. I don't think he's any better than Brian Flores. Yeah, I, I mean, you'll get no argument from me on that. Um, and you know that that was one thing. I'm like, you know, the Dolphins could win. I, I didn't think the Bills looked super impressive. I mean, I think one thing that needs to to be talked about too, especially from that Dolphins Bills game is. Obviously, we know it's the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bengals. Um, doesn't matter what order you put them in in the AFC. Those are the three teams that um, one of those three is going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, absolutely. Right. But Josh Allen has turned the ball over more than any quarterback in the NFL this year. And I don't think that's getting enough traction in terms of that guy has 27 turnovers, including in the postseason. Interceptions and fumbles. And – you can he he got lucky that they came out on top against the Dolphins, but if you do that against the Bengals this week against and and have three turnovers and one which goes for a touchdown, I I, I think the Bengals are going to slice you up, and you know you you won't you won't have a chance because you're not going up against Skylar Thompson, and I think Zach Taylor is turning out to be a lot better coach than people were originally anticipating when he got that job just a couple of years ago. You know, he's got them on the precipice of going to a second straight AFC championship game. And the only year they didn't make the playoffs was the COVID year in the year that Joe Burrow tore his ACL midway through the year. Um, and then you go over to the Bengals side too. again, another wild card game, division, division game, new Puntley playing instead of Brown, Lamar Jackson still out. But, you know, they gave the Bengals all they could have. I do think the Bengals in that game a little bit were conservative because they knew they didn't have to bring out all the toys and bring out all the tricks to be able to beat that Ravens team. But that Ravens defense was a problem for the Bengals all night. That Ravens defense has been phenomenal since the addition of Roquan Smith. I mean, that dude has earned that $100 million contract um, extension. And and I, I think – that the the Ravens were going to beat the Bengals until Huntley fumbled the ball and Sam Hubbard returned at 98 yards for a touchdown. Biggest point is, is, is neither one of those teams looked ultra impressive, in my opinion. And I know it was a divisional game in the playoffs. I was just expecting to see more, especially right. from the Bills and Bengals, because those are two teams with Super Bowl aspirations right. that – should have dominated against backup quarterbacks. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you there. And, you know, I think about this with the Bills and the Dolphins having a scare, if you want to call it that. And yeah. then heading into this week, the Eagles coming off the bye, the Chiefs coming off the bye here. Does does that kind of alert the Chiefs and the Eagles of seeing those teams get a scare that, hey, it's playoff time, we got to play our best football? What are they going to look like coming out of the gates? I feel like in both games, of both teams coming up five weeks this week, Derek, we, we're going to know how those games are going to play out within the first quarter based on how those teams come out. If they are – you know, fired up. If they're not caught sleepwalking, they're going to go there mm-hmm. and they're going to go out and win with ease. But if they don't, yeah. 
um, then I think that both those games could be a ball game. I think we're going to learn everything within that first quarter of both those matchups, Eagles, Giants, and Chiefs, Jags. Yeah, and, and and I mean, you know, obviously, Tyler, in your time when you were in the Kansas City area, you know Andy Reid's record after a bye speaks for itself. Um, but I do think that that could play a little bit of a role in terms of what they saw. I, I think we're forgetting, too, the Chargers and Jaguars. I mean, that game was over when the Chargers were up 27 nothing. Most people thought that. Um, but then the Chargers did the ultimate job of charging and lost to the lost to the Jaguars. And I think that woke everybody up that, you know, Andy reads one of his one of his sayings is, and I can remember it when they were playing the Texans, and I was covering that crazy 2019 divisional round game when the Texans were up 24 nothing, and then the Chiefs rattled off 51 straight points um, to beat the Texans 51 to 31. I could just remember Andy Reid the whole game. You could see it and you could hear it in the post game audio. More, 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 more. That's what you've got to do in the playoffs. You've got to keep your foot down and you've got to put your throat on their jugular. I actually think that it's going to be beneficial for the Eagles and the Chiefs. The fact that, yes, they are coming off the bye. They could rest up a little bit. I think both teams knew who it was going to be. I think the Chiefs knew most likely, okay, hey, with these matchups, with the fact that there's backup quarterbacks, we're probably going to play the Chargers or the Jaguars, that's most likely who it's going to be. Let's put our, let's put most of our effort into game planning for those two teams. With that said, too, the fact that these guys get to play on Saturday and not have to wait that extra day, I think is going to be beneficial too, right? Um, for both teams. But I think it's going to be beneficial for the Chiefs because I think the Chiefs are going to see with playing the Jaguars, okay, these guys were down 27 nothing. Now granted, I think if you put a if you if you turn the ball over five times against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you're not you're not coming back. Like it, it would take Patrick Mahomes getting hurt for the Jaguars to be able to come um out of that and come back from that game. Well, but I, I do think AFC that there's lessons here. to be learned. Right. The AFC side here, the I think you know, and you and I are on the same page on this. The Chiefs, Bills, and Bengals are all pretty close. I like yeah. the Chiefs best, but not by a whole lot. I mean, it's they're oh, right that's... there with each other. Um, Absolutely. What I what I wonder is with the Chiefs having the bye, and the fact that they only have to play one or the other. Comparably speaking, that the Bills Bengals winner is going to have to play yeah. each other and then play the Chiefs. And yeah. get the bye week. Home, I mean, I, I guess it's not home field in this case, but the the bye week advantage or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The, the path to the Super Bowl is a hell of a lot easier this postseason, I think, even without even home field potentially being involved in the AFC championship game, if it's, you know, yeah. Chiefs. I still think there's a huge advantage the Chiefs have by not having to play both teams as opposed to what the Bills-Bengals winner does. Well, and that's one of the things here locally, you know, there were so many Chiefs fans, obviously, you know, hey, everybody loves their team, you know, the refs are always against you, the league's against you, it's rigged and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know, hey, I, I don't agree with how the league necessarily handled it and approached it, but I, I'm going to give some patience and, and grace considering a guy almost fucking died um, on the field. You know, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be that judgmental. Someone almost lost their life. Things in life are bigger than football um, and to most people. But, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you're talking about had, had the Bills been able to win that game in Buffalo, the Chiefs would have had to go through the Bengals and then the Bills. So 
those two teams got to beat the hell out of each other, and then they've got to get ready to play the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have gotten the easiest matchup of anybody in the AFC considering they get to play the Jaguars. If you would have asked the Chiefs, given the circumstances coming out of, would you rather play the Ravens, the Dolphins, or the Jaguars? And if the Ravens or the Dolphins were healthy – I still think the Jaguars would probably be the first pick that they would want to play. Now, obviously, Skylar Thompson playing at quarterback, if the Dolphins would have won, they would have rather played that. If, you know, the Ravens would have won, they would have rather played the Ravens with without Lamar Jackson. Jacksonville does not match up very well with the Chiefs at all. Their secondary is not very good. They have a lot of trouble stopping the run. The way that you beat Patrick Mahomes that we've seen that the Bengals have been so successful at, Tyler, is by – Blitzing three or blitzing four and dropping seven or dropping eight, Jacksonville is not talented enough to be able to get to Patrick Mahomes with just three or four. So I do think that the Chiefs only having to play one of those potential teams is so great because you get the buy, and that's one of the things that I was saying. I go, given the circumstances, the way the NFL decided to do what they have done for the AFC, if it, if, it, if they end up playing the Bills, how it'll be a neutral site game. Also, Patrick Mahomes, if you check his career statistics and numbers and uh, his record in domes, he is phenomenal. Um, so that actually would help him instead of potentially playing in the cold um, in Kansas City. But only having to, to mention play they're one two of them, and two at home in AFC championship games anyway. Yeah, under under Patrick Mahomes, exactly. And so the, the thing is, is that they got a bye. They got to rest, which was huge. They get to play the Jaguars, and they only have to beat one of those teams to get to the Super Bowl instead of both. Out of every scenario in the AFC, the team that got it the easiest was the Chiefs. The Bengals got screwed the most because I think the Bengals were going to win that Monday night game, and that would have propelled them to the two seed, and Buffalo would have been the three. The Bengals got screwed the most. They've got to go on the road potentially now this week, but next week too, if they end up beating Buffalo and have to come to Kansas City again. Now, granted, they've won here last year, but still you have to go on the road. Not to mention they were leading that football game too. Uh, Yes, and and, and Joe Burrow looked like he was going to throw for four or five touchdowns and 400 yards, and and they looked like they were going to roll from the first two drives that that they had that night. Right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The Chiefs have the easiest path, but – I mean, it only takes, you know, two wins, too. I mean, the, these other two, you can't count them out, too. It's going to be a very interesting next couple of weeks. Let's talk about the NFC side here. So here, here's what I'm looking at. The Giants, hell of a year. Brian Dable's done a great job, but they're not one of the NFC. Um, they might. No, no. This week, they might. But Danny I mean, Dimes. They're not winning the NFC. So I, I, I'm counting the Giants out. Cowboys looked really good last week, but – I still have a feeling of some sorts they're going to find a way to Cowboy until they prove otherwise. Um, Dak looked great. Don't get me wrong on Monday, but, I mean, our, our memories aren't too long ago him looking like shit against the Commanders, you know? I mean, like, no. not that far back. So, yeah. I have my doubts about the Cowboys. Uh, Philadelphia, Jalen and company, let's see if he's 100% healthy. If he is... I think they're the best team in the NFL, and they're and, and I have them winning the Super Bowl. But we'll find out that answer here. Uh, he's not on the injury report or anything, so that's positive. But we'll see how things look here in the next uh, couple of days when that game happens. And then there's San Francisco, who looks like a complete football team, but 
you still have a rookie quarterback, seventh round quarterback Brock Purdy and everything. I mean, there, there, is, there is some unanswered questions that we're about to figure out real fast. Like the, you know, we, we know in the AFC, it's it's about three teams and they all can win it. The NFC, I think, is down to three teams themselves. I count the Giants out, but I, I feel like we still have a lot to figure out about those three teams. I think it, you know, I, I favor the Eagles, but is anyone going to be surprised in two weeks if it's them, Dallas, or San Fran in the Super Bowl? I think all three of those teams are pretty close, too. Well, I know you said you have your doubts about Dallas, but I've never had any doubts about you. Um, so, yeah. So I had to throw that in Thanks, there. Thanks, big boy. No, like, Here's 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 my thing. Daniel Jones looks like he would play Eli Manning in a movie based about Eli Manning's life, or Eli Manning and the Giants beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl um, it, when the Patriots were undefeated. Wouldn't it just be? I'm just let's live in a, let's live in a world where it's happened. Wouldn't the Giants beating the Eagles be the most Giants thing in their franchise? Nobody's predicting them to win. They're out of it. Daniel Daniel Jones played the best game of his career last week against the fraud Minnesota Vikings, whose defense was terrible. Um, Shout out to Kirk Cousins for throwing a a, a three-yard out route to uh, Hawkinson when it's fourth and eight and the game's on the line. Um, Great job uh, there. But I, I wouldn't be surprised based on the Giants' history if they did that. I do think Philadelphia is the superior team. I want to see how Jalen Hurts' um, shoulder is. I, I think they're going to be hesitant, especially at least this week, to use him in the quarterback run game. And and that's where my worry about Philadelphia comes in a little bit because they are so reliant on that. If they can't use that part of their offense – I don't think it makes them one-dimensional, but I think it limits the explosiveness that the Eagles can have on offense if they can't use Jalen Hurts in the run game and they know that they've only got to gear up if you're the defense of the Giants for Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell. I, I think it makes it harder to get the ball to your playmakers like Dallas Goddard, uh, Devontae Smith, uh, A.J. Brown. So I, I want to see how Nick Sirianni is going to approach that first series or two with Jalen Hurts in terms of the quarterback run game and how he's going to be used. Now, we transition over, talk about the other game between the Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. By the way, isn't this just a great rivalry weekend in the NFC? you got Eagles and Giants, two teams that hate each other, and then you've got teams that in the 90s and have so much history together well, that, with each other. In the, that in Niners-Cowboys the Niners Cowboys game, I'm calling it right now, Derek. You know, it's it's the – de facto primetime game Sunday. Yeah. I think that's going to be the highest rated divisional game of all time. Yeah, I, I think it might be. And 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 we know Dak looked absolutely terrible against the commanders and he played, I think, his best game of his career against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, that's not the same Buccaneers defense from two years ago that dominated the Kansas City Chiefs and shut Patrick Mahomes and them down in the Super Bowl. They're far from that. They're a far cry from that. Um, but Dak still played very well. And there should have been more points scored on there if Dallas had a kicker who could make an extra point. Um, but I digress on that. But, you know, Brock Brock Purdy, you know, Brock on and Brock we trust, however you want to say it, whatever you want to do. You and I loved that dude when he was at Iowa State. Um, he has almost every single career record passing at Iowa State. I was surprised that he went so late. I thought, and it shows, you know, 
he should have gone higher. But a lot of what people don't understand in terms of the NFL is a lot of it matters in the terms of the success that you're going to have when you're young and like a rookie, like broad party is going to the, to the right system and having the right coach. He has that in Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is a phenomenal offensive mind. I would probably say he's second or third in, in, in the NFL in terms of offensive play callers behind Andy Reid. I think it's Andy Reid and then everybody else is behind him. But I think Kyle Shanahan is definitely up there. But it doesn't hurt having to go up against that number one defense in San Francisco. And not only that, all he's got to do is just get the ball to the playmakers. You know, San Francisco getting Christian McCaffrey midway through the season was the best in-season trade arguably ever um, for, for them. And he took their offense to another level. It gave them the running back that they needed to run that zone concept run scheme that Shanahan loves that he's taken from his father when his dad was in Denver and Washington. And, you know, I, I have been hesitant a lot in terms of the 49ers with having a rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy being able to sit here and say, man, they could get to the Super Bowl. The last couple of weeks, the way that he's looked and how dominant he looked and how good and comfortable he looks in that offense, you can tell he is a guy who's getting more comfortable. And he's developing a chemistry with Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle, who is unbelievable when he gets the ball in his hands after the catch. Yeah. And – I think that San Francisco team could go into um, could go into Philadelphia and win. I know you're big on the Eagles, but I, I'm big on San Francisco. I think San Francisco is the best team in the NFC right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think there's a wrong answer at the moment. You can make case for either one, but yeah, I, I see exactly where you're coming from there. Going to be a fun weekend. Uh, we'll talk more playoffs. Uh, Coach Bo's going to be here with us uh, coming up later on. We'll, uh, we'll best weekend of football this weekend. It's unbelievable. I love it. I can't wait. Um, the Big 12 breakdown uh, coming up next. Uh, we will discuss uh, Big 12 hoops. Also, uh, Big 12 transfer portal winners and losers. And uh, also, uh, later on, we will uh, get to uh, Tom Fullery and all that coming up uh, with Jared Sutton also standing by as well. Let's go ahead and begin our Big 12 breakdown now. Uh, Tyler Jones, Derek Hagelin here with you. And I want to start out first, uh, as we do with the Big 12 breakdown, with kind of our our hot take segments. And you give our hot <laughs> takes around the Big 12. And I'll start, and then, Derek, you give your hot take here. My, my hot take, and, and, and I don't know how, how hot a take this is, but um, I'll just say this. Spencer Sanders is going to regret leaving Oklahoma State. That is, and and I understand he's a, he's still college kid and everything. So um, don't don't hate me for this, folks. But leaving Oklahoma State, where you were a four year starter. Granted, I'm not. I've never been a fan of his to begin with. But leaving a place where you were a four year starter and you were going to be the starter again next year to go to Ole Miss for a three quarterback competition. Is just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in, in what the portal has become. And it would have been one thing had he gone to a school like Auburn where he would have started or a group of five school or something like that. But what the hell are you doing leaving Oklahoma State for that situation at Ole Miss? I understand if you weren't happy with Mike Gundy, if those things were on the same page. But, Derek, I mean – to go to Ole Miss? What, 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 what's Spencer Sanders doing here? To me, this just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't get that. That's a head-scratching uh, uh, thing to do by by Spencer Sanders. Um, 
you know, maybe it's the fact that Ole Miss will probably be better than Oklahoma State next year. I mean, I think they will I, be. I, but, I mean, how I think Oklahoma State is, is right. I think Oklahoma State's heading towards probably another like six and six, maybe seven and five season, which doesn't happen a lot under Gundy. But you know, that was a team that was preseason top fifteen and you know finished unranked, and obviously you know lost to Kansas when. Oklahoma State was starting a, a backup quarterback. Kansas was starting Jason Bean because Jalen Daniels was still out. Um, you know, it just I, – I, I don't I don't get that. I like the portal because I think we've seen, obviously, Tyler, you're a Kansas alum, and I'm, I'm a Kansas season ticket holder, and I love KU, and among other things, and like we've talked about, you know, things that may happen down the road very, very soon for me we've seen the portal work in such a positive way in terms of how quickly you can turn a program around. I'm not saying Kansas is fully turned around. I know they still have a lot of work to do, but look at a guy like Lance Leipold and how he manipulated the portal to where in his, basically what I categorized it as was his first full season because he had an off season. He had a spring game. He had everything that he was able to implement. Um, after the 2021 season into the 2022 season, he got Kansas to their first bowl game in 14 years. We see the portal work and be effective that way because it can help you turn around things quicker than it would have been, you know, hey, you hire a coach a few years ago. Look, it's going to take me four years. You got to give me four years to get my guys in there, turn it around and do this. And then you've just got people doing dumb shit like Spencer Sanders deciding to leave and go to Ole Miss when you would have been the guy at Oklahoma State like you had been since you were a redshirt freshman. I, I just right. I, I don't get it. I think that's one of the negative things of the portal. Right. And and it's uh you know just to reiterate it's not that he I understand if th- if he wasn't happy at Oklahoma State that'd be one thing. But choosing right. Ole Miss when you might not even be the guy you're going into a competition right. it just does not add up. Something is off something's missing there. Derek mm-hmm. what what's uh What's your hot take this week for the Big 12? Football, basketball, what, what what do you got for me? Give me a hot take this week. Give me give me some well, So I got I I got I got I got two. Um I got one for football and I got one for basketball. My football one is, is that Iowa State will miss being in a bowl game for a second has has come off. I I don't believe in their quarterback deckers. Um I He's coming back next year. I know they have a top Iowa, um, who's a six-seven quarterback. But you know they're losing Chandler Hutchinson. They're losing some other. Uh, Matt Campbell, really the wonder boy that everybody thought that he was, and I love Matt Campbell. I'm a big Matt Campbell fan. I just think he lost so much NFL talent that it's going to be hard. It's so hard to replace that at a school like Iowa State. Yeah. And then and then for basketball, Mark Adams will be fired from Texas Tech at the end of the year. Ooh. Yeah, I can see that. I, you know, one of my things is, is, like, I understand, you know, obviously everything that Chris Beard did that involves that situation is, is sad and terrible and sickening, and I hope he gets help. And Texas did the right thing, and I feel for his fiance and everything that happened to her. I think that it's never a good idea just to try to keep the recruits around to promote a guy from within, especially considering how old Mark Mark Adams is. 
and the fact that he had really never been a Division One head coach at a Power Five school. Yeah, they had a good year last year, but I you don't see him building on the success of that this year. I think look at the guys that it, left: Terrence Shannon Jr., Kevin McCuller, all those guys who left. I I think you're looking at. I don't think that we're seeing a guy who can build and sustain the foundation of success that Chris Beard be because at the end of the at the end of the day, I mean, that Texas Tech job wasn't as bad as it was a few years ago. Chris Beard had them within an overtime of winning the national championship, and they were selling out every game. They had a great thing going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I think that's one thing that I think we could see Mark Adams be fired from Texas Tech at the end of the year. Okay. Uh, let's start with uh, football-wise. Uh, we won't spend a whole lot of time on this. We'll move pretty fast and then move on to basketball. But transfer portal, uh, this season of the portal, kind of wrapping up for now. And then, I mean, we know how it goes. The portal will pick back up again after spring ball. But uh, I have a list here, courtesy of uh, Heartland College Sports, of the transfer portal winners and losers. And I just kind of want to go through this. Start out with the winners. TCU, with what they did, they added five SEC transfers with Trey Sanders and Tommy Brockmeyer yeah. from Alabama. JoJo Earl uh, also heading there, as well as Jack Beck from LSU and Avery Heim. And they didn't lose many pieces either. They did lose a couple guys in the draft, but Sonny Dykes was terrific in what he did to assemble that roster and, and work the portal last year. And he even built upon that, and they even did a better job this year. Even with them getting crushed in the national championship game, they didn't shy guys away from that program. What Sonny has done there, I mean, when in this next iteration of the Big 12, after OU and Texas leave, Derek, as long as Sonny's there, based on the way things went year one and what they're building already in year two, I think TCU is going to be the team to beat in this next era. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we can absolutely see that. I mean, Sonny Dykes is a hell of a coach, um, given what he's done. I think you could see, obviously, where their biggest deficiencies were when they went up against Georgia. Um, obviously, the offensive and defensive lines uh, were, were a big, big difference. But it wasn't just there. It was also, you look in the secondary and the athletes that Georgia had. You know, Georgia has three or four guys who are going to get drafted high in the secondary granted um you know obviously tcu had had their one player but you know it was it was it was a crazy stat that i saw it was it was the day after the national championship game georgia had 44 five or four star recruits on their roster tcu had 17 that's a huge huge discrepancy Right there. But that's one of the reasons why the SEC always wins. And, you know, granted, let's give credit to to the Big 12. They had never had a team make it to the college football national championship. So for Sonny Dykes to do that in his first year was a hell of an accomplishment, considering Lincoln Riley's piss poor playoff record and how in, in those games all but one, Oklahoma got blown out. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think Sonny sees where college football is heading, where it's going and, and how to work and manipulate the portal. That's what it's going to take, because you not only need to be able to recruit high school guys and the guys on your roster, you've got to be able to recruit other guys, too, right, right, right. because it's so easy to leave now. Right. Uh, Oklahoma, another winner in the portal. And, you know, they needed to make a spark 
off of that six-win season, and Brent Venables did just that. Top five high school recruiting class, and transfer portal, they had one of the best portal classes in the country, too. But not only did they bring in talent, Derek, they took away from their enemies, too. Trace Ford, one of the best players on OSU's defense last year. He's a Sooner now. Jacob Lacey, formerly of Oklahoma State as well. He's a Sooner as well. Uh, Desan McAuliffe, uh, Devon Sears, Rodney uh, Brothroyd. I mean, they, they did a really good job. You lose Marvin Mims and Braden Willis. You get Dylan Gabriel back. Um, I'm excited for this Oklahoma team. And I, I, I think, Derek, there's no reason why. If Brent Venables is the right head coach, the roster that's there, what they brought in, what they had coming back, if Brent Venables is the right coach, there's no reason why Oklahoma shouldn't be a 10-win team next year. Yeah, that's the thing, though. That's the biggest question. I'm not a big believer in Brent Venables. Um, we saw him up close last year against Kansas. Yeah, you know, their offense put a lot of points up, but that that defense was bad. That defense needs to improve um, for Brent Venables to be able to um, have that 10-win season. Is he going to be able to figure it out this upcoming year? I, I'm not a big Brent Venables fan, so until it happens, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time believing it. Uh, KU, uh, another winner of the uh, transfer portal. You lost Stephen McBride and Kai Thomas to the portal. Um, yeah. But to be honest, that's that's fine. You know, I mean, there, there's yeah. – the, the, the offense did not depend on either one of those guys. No, uh, not – Kai Thomas was a huge disappointment too, by the way. Right. I mean, you still got Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal coming back. You bring in Patrick – Daniel Highshaw back. Yeah, exactly. Demarius McGee out of LSU, Devin Phillips, Gage Keys, um, and then six guys on defense, too. As good as Kansas did to turn things around last year, that defense was cheeks for most of the season. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, KU, I, I think they're going to be preseason top 25. Like, I, I love what, what, what Lance Leipold did to build upon this past year. Absolutely. And, you know, Tyler, we are two of the founding and beginning. We are two of the founding members and believers of Lance's Legion. Um, so, you know, the OGs know. Um, so shout out to that. Um, no, I loved it. I, th th that's the great thing that I, I love about Lance Leipold and what he's able to do is he knows that at times last year that defensive line was a huge issue as well as the linebacking court. That's why bringing in a guy like J.B. Brown was so huge because you could tell at times I don't know if it was Chris Borland's defense or what, but the linebackers at times, whether it was Rich Miller, Taiwan Berryhill, McCaskill, or anybody, they looked out of position regularly. But on the defensive line, you could tell when they were getting dominated, especially at the defensive tackle. That is where they needed to get better and, and, and get better in a hurry. And you can tell Lance Leipold saw that, addressed it, and had no problem going after it. That's why I think getting a guy like Devin Phillips was so huge. Getting a guy like Gage Keys was so huge to be able to beef up that defensive line, get right. stronger, faster, more athletic. But not only that, add the biggest thing that you need, which was depth, which they didn't have on the defensive line last year. Let's get to the losers of the portal here. The biggest, obviously, Oklahoma State. A disappointing yep. seven-win season last year. Now you lose Mason Cobb, Thomas Harper, Trace Ford, Dominic Richardson, Bryson Green, John Paul Richardson, Jabbar Muhammad, as well as Spencer Sanders, who we mentioned. 
You bring in Justin Wright from Tulsa, which I thought was a really good pickup. Anthony Goodlow, and I like uh, Alan Bowman, who they bring in from Texas Tech, probably going to be their starter. What they added was solid. That's not the issue. But the losses are going to be so hard to overcome here. Um, pressure's on Mike Gundy. If, if they're not an eight-win football team, I think there's a good chance Mike Gundy's done after this year. Yeah, I, I definitely think that with how the season started for him this past year with such high expectations, because coming off of that Fiesta Bowl win against Notre Dame in, in 2021 with so much of his roster back and the ability that where you thought Oklahoma might be able to contend for a college football playoff spot, and then for it just the last seven, eight weeks of the season, they just basically be absolute dog shit um, was, was really sad. Um, and, you know, Gundy's got to win games next year. And he lost guys to Oklahoma, like you said, from Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders left. I'm starting to wonder with everything, and you can trace it back to, to, to Chuba Hubbard, if there hasn't kind of been rocks and cracking in that foundation that he had built up for so long after everything that went on with that situation that has transpired and just continued to grow over the last couple of years. Another loser in the portal, one of the newest members of the Big 12, Cincinnati. Luke Fickle's gone. He's at Wisconsin, and he's already doing a pretty bang-up job at Wisconsin. I hated the Scott Satterfield hire. I thought that was an awful yeah. hire. He didn't do well at Louisville, and now you bring him over to Cincinnati. No. It didn't make sense. But then the losses of what they've dealt with since then. Get this, Derek. 16 players entered the portal and left from Cincinnati. They did add 14 guys, but your most notable is Emory Jones. And I'll be honest, I ain't seen nothing from Emory Jones, and he's had plenty of opportunities, plenty of opportunities to prove it. And I've seen nothing that shows me that he could be a good quarterback at the Power 5 level. I, I, I was excited about Cincinnati entering the league with Luke Fickle and everything. Now I, I'm thinking they might go from – you know, 100 down to zero, they might be bad here. Uh, th this could be yeah. a rude awakening for the Bearcats in the Big 12. Yeah, um, especially because it's going to be such a, a step up. And, I mean, they lost a lot of guys to the NFL. You know, Sauce Gardner is going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. He was a first-team All-Pro as a rookie. Desmond Ritter, so Kobe he, Bryant. Yeah, yeah. you know, they, they were going to lose guys um, in terms of talent and production going into this year. But it also seems like – Luke Fickle did not do a good job of trying to replace that talent with the incoming classes. And and you, you mentioned Scott Satterfield. I mean, hey, credit to Luke Fickle to go into a bigger program, bigger money, more resources, everything is going to be in the Big Ten. That's awesome. Great for you. I never worry about anybody uh, going and getting their money. But what the hell was Scott Satterfield? He, he wasn't good at, at the University of Louisville. And now you're going to bring him in to the Big 12, which is a tougher conference to win and be competitive in than what the ACC was when it was really just basically for most years Clemson and Florida State. Now North Carolina is getting good because Matt Brown's there and everything, but it just it, it's it's a head scratching move. And I feel like a couple years into it, maybe two or three years down into it, once Cincinnati's in this league, that they're going to be looking for a new coach. I just I, it it blows my mind coming from a team that was just in the college football playoff. Yeah, they very well might be the worst of the four new teams coming to the Big Twelve um, when it's all said and done, based on the decisions that they've made and 
how things have fallen off just within the last few months. Last loser of the portal, Texas. 16 players they lost to the portal, and they only got about three in return. Um, you know, you, you look at it, the Longhorns, some of the players you included, uh, Jalen Catalan, uh, Gavin Holmes, um, you know, they're coming off an eight-man season. I understand they brought in a heck of a high school recruiting class, but I think – Arch Manning. Yeah, Arch Manning, of course. Uh, but I feel like Sark, one of the things I like to say, you know, Derek, is you either got to adapt or die. And in Sark's case, look, you can't just win with high school recruits anymore. But you also can't just win with the portal either. It's got to no. be a mix of both. And so far, yeah. it looks like Sark way underperformed with portal talent. I mean, these other teams are bringing in portal players that are already ready to go. Your high school players, for the most part, still are going to take time to have to develop. And I don't know if Texas is patient enough to have to take the time to develop these high school recruits of where yeah. they Well, I, I think they'll be patient enough with Arch Manning considering all the things that they um... – Pulled out on him. I, I do want to ask, when you say adapt or die, did you get that from Moneyball? Because that's a quote I always use um, from yes. Moneyball. <laughs> okay. All right. Good on you, sir. Touche. Uh, <laughs> I, tip my hat to, I tip my hat to you on that. Um, but it, it, one of the things, too, to think about in terms of, like, you mentioned it up because you brought up Oklahoma and you brought up Texas. How many people do we know or anyone around that, that you know, it's dream like, man, I got offered by Oklahoma. I got offered by Texas. They're not where they once were. And I think Sark is a good offensive mind. I think he needs to figure stuff out on the defensive end. Um, and you talk about the portal and the guys that are coming in and what they lost and the, and the unbelievable recruiting class that they have, which is good. And they're going to have a year to develop in the Big 12. But before they go over to the the SEC, but, you know, is anybody sitting here thinking that Texas is going to be in – you know, a college football playoff anytime soon. But also think about what they lost that's going to the NFL draft. I mean, they lost the best back in the country in B. John Robinson. Right. They're losing a lot of talent to the NFL, not only just to the portal. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. Um, we're going to talk to Jared Sutton here in just a moment, talk some Big 12 folks, but I kind of want to set the scene before we – Bring in Jarrett and uh, Derek, uh, you know, just kind of getting your thoughts. Uh, the big headline this week, I think, goes back to what K-State did to beat KU on yeah. Tuesday. And th the two things that I took away from that game, you know, K-State is legit. Jerome Tang's doing a great job. Yes. Deontay Johnston is a hell of a player. Um, K-State's for real. At the same time, yes. you know, this Kansas team, I know that they're going to hate losing to K-State, you know, arch rival and everything. You know, that's a game they expect to win. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not a bad loss. You lost to a good team on the road. Conference game, you'll see them again. It happens. What I think Bill is going to get, the message that's got to come across, and some Bill Self teams take – a couple weeks to figure this out. Some of them take a couple months. It looks like it's going to be a couple months with this team. Is that the defense has got to figure it out? I mean, yep. along the same lines of adapt or die. Another similar quote: "You either shit or get off the pot." You know, what I mean, yeah. 
This, yeah. this KU defense, I, I, they can score lights out. They can put up points. Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, all these guys here. But Bill's not going to be okay with the lack of defense this team plays. If they can figure out the defensive side, they're as good as anybody in the country. But they haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've got to be able to figure out the defense. But, you know, hey, K-State, they're a good team. Jerome Ting is an unbelievable coach. I'm surprised. I was surprised it took so long for him to leave Baylor, considering he was Scott yeah. Drew's lead assistant for 19 years. But, you know, credit to Gene Taylor for figuring it out and getting him hired. You know, he turned it around, again, using the portal, building his roster the way that he wanted. You know, K-State fans will sit here and say the stupid-ass thing that they own the state, even though they don't have an all-time winning record against Kansas in football, basketball, or baseball. Now, what do you let own? them have the little – yeah, let, let them have the little brother complex syndrome that makes them think that they own the state when they clearly don't. Um, it's 204 to 95 in basketball, which is what's really funny. Um, but, yeah, they've got to be able to figure it out defensively. And that game was crazy because three starters for Kansas fell out. It was an unbelievable career performance by Jalen Wilson. He was phenomenal all night. Grady Dick had the worst shooting night of his, of his young career at Kansas, and they were still – a point they were within a point with 10 seconds um to go Th this kansas team is still very very good i still think they can get back to the final four the biggest question i have is how are they going to do things when the bench has to come in and play because i think it's a lot to say when zuby edgefor Ernest Uday aren't getting used. MJ Rice hasn't played. I know he's had some back issues, but he's a guy who I definitely think can add some stuff to that second unit in terms of athleticism and scoring. I mean, he was a McDonald's All-American, but they do have to be able to figure it out and be more consistent um, on the defensive end, or they have no shot um, at getting to Houston. Yeah. Um, when I look at the league, I still think KU is the team to beat. Agreed. Uh, you know, that's only their second loss of the year. And, you know, they don't have any bad losses either. Their other loss was no. Tennessee. Um, yeah, Tennessee's a good team. Very good, very good team. Um, with that said, you know, K-State's tied for the league lead right now. Iowa State somehow is magically 5-1. and one. Texas, even with losing Chris Beard, has not fallen off. They're still hanging around pretty good at 15-3, and 4-2 and two in league play. TCU at 14 and four, Baylor at 13 and five. Um, I feel like after KU, the rest of those next five are all right there. I, I don't have a confident answer in who the second best team in the league is. I think Baylor can become that, but they're not at yeah. this moment that right now. My money would still be on Baylor to be that team, but there's not a, I, I think you could ask five different people and get five different answers. So I think talent and coaching wise, Baylor can get there and has that uh, ability, like what you said. But I think if you had to ask me today, I think in terms of what the ceiling might be able to be and what we're, what we're seeing and how well they played, I think I wouldn't be surprised if we get to March and we're at the big 12 tournament and K-State's the number two seed. Um, I think Iowa state struggles to score um, TJ Osselberger is a hell of a coach. He's a phenomenal defensive mind um, in terms of how he does and, and, and uses his players defensively. But I, I still see a lot of things like last year where they struggled to score consistently. They want to win a lot of rock fights. Um, and if they could get their opponent to play that way, like they did a couple weeks ago against KU, they're going to be in a lot of games. But 
if they have to try to score, I think that's one area that they struggle in. Yeah, I think you're right about that. The the, the team that intrigues me, the great unknown, is, is Texas. Rodney Terry, yeah. since taking over as the interim, has done a good job. He's only lost two games. One of them was the Iowa State the other night. Not a bad loss. The other uh, was no. the State. Again, another, not a bad loss either. No. Um, what I wonder is – in I think it's one of those questions we can't answer right now. Rodney Terry, is he good enough to keep the ship afloat and to get this thing towards a deep run in March? If 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 he can get them to the second weekend, I think Rodney Terry is going to be back and be their permanent head coach. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I, I think Texas is a good enough job to where a lot of guys would want that job um, and everything. And I just, I, I just, I don't know that he's the guy. I think there are other candidates that could be out there um, that might be able to be better suited for that Texas job. Yeah, potentially so. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, we've heard the John Calipari rumors. Yeah, so. That's where I was getting ready to go. Yeah. So, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see plays out. Yeah. Jared Sutton said to join us next. More Big 12 basketball conversation on the other side. Coach Bo is going to be here in a little bit as well. Still got Tom Fullery. Don't go anywhere. Jared Sutton joins us next. Join us now on the Jones Report this week. A great friend of the show. You've seen him cover college basketball uh, for a number of places, whether it was the SEC Network or ATN Sports Kansas City, and also uh, scouting for the New Orleans Pelicans uh, as a Midwest regional scout. It is uh, Jared Sutton, who is back on the program once again. Jared, appreciate you joining us, man. And uh, you are scouting as we speak, actually, right now. You're in Chicago, right? I am in Chicago. Yeah, it's going to be with the Tyler. Yeah, I had the, the Paul Xavier last night. Get to see uh, an upset uh, at the Wintrust Center here uh, here in Chicago, and then heading to Champaign, and uh, we'll get Illinois, Indiana tonight. Good Big Ten matchup. Um, excited to be at State Farm and Champaign. Should be a rowdy crowd. Uh, haven't been to Illinois. I've seen Illinois on the road quite a bit. Haven't been in their building in a couple of years. So I'm excited to be uh, be there as well. Good good college basketball environment and. Big Ten's a good league, just like some of these other leagues we, 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 uh, we're we going to talk about, but uh, should be a good one tonight. Man, and uh, for you, Jarrett, I mean, going around and just uh, seeing all these different college basketball games and scouting, I mean, that, that, that's got to be the dream, right? I know you love just the game of college basketball itself. You get paid to, to watch college basketball here. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a great job. I mean, I, I love the the opportunity to, to work for a great organization like the Pelicans. Uh, it's my fourth year, and uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's a, it's a grind like anything. It's like any job. There's uh, a, lot of, a lot of things that go into in terms of travel. And, um, you know, it's it's watching games, but it's studying games, studying players, uh, obviously trying to figure out how, to, how they translate to the NBA game, which is right. you know, it's like two different languages going from college to the NBA. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, cover Big 12 and Big 10 is my, my main leagues and try to get to as many games as I can throughout the college basketball season. And that's a good crop of players this year, too. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a couple of things before we kind of dive in, talk some Big 12 hoops with, uh, and whatnot. You know, you mentioned transitioning from the college game to the NBA game. It's so interesting to me, Jared, the games are so different. You know, for one, the way it's officiated. I, I was watching that Kansas-Kansas State game the other night, just frustrated with how many whistles were going on in that game. All the ticky-tack BS just blows my mind. But then, two, you had these other teams yep. – that still want to have back to the basket guys, uh, you know, your your Oscar Sheebways, your 
uh, Armando Baycox of the world. And it seems like there's not a place for those type of players in the NBA anymore. I mean, the games are totally different from each other, it seems, right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's just there's there's ways you got to go about your lineup at the, in the NBA. Uh, you do you know need a traditional five, uh, but you got to have a modern day five that's a switchable five now, uh, which is how you have to defend at the NBA level. And in the playoffs, it feels like that's when the game really changes from the regular season to the playoffs in the NBA. Um, you know, I I'll say this: I I really think NBA officiating. I, I think it's the best across professional sports. I think they're that good. Uh, I do think they miss calls like every you know, crew does, but we got a really good, I think, uh, process in terms of officiating and going from the G League all the way up to the pro side, um, the way we grade out officials. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of accountability with our officials. Um, and we the, our older officials that are in the league, they've been around for a while, and, and there's a reason why they've been around for a while. So um, it is a different game. The way it's called is different. I, you know, I think in the NBA, yes, that we, we get into those conversations around – stars getting calls and there's a lot of, lot of conversation around the point totals uh, at the NBA level. Cause the defense is at an elite level right now in the league, in my opinion. Uh, but there, there's a lot of, you know, there can be some leeway in terms of whistles towards, towards, uh, towards your stars, if you will. Uh, but it's, it's, it is two different languages when you talk about the, the pro side to the college game. And then from a five standpoint, you know, I think you, you got to have seven footers. Uh, you got to have rim protection in the NBA. You got to have your, your big man that you can throw the ball to, Jonas Valanciunas for us is a double-double every night waiting to happen. Uh, but we have Larry Nance, uh, who we, we put in the game quite a bit uh, to be our, our kind of a modern-day stretch five that can can guard uh, and can switch. And, and you got to have those those lineup versatility, if you will, for for your head coach to, to be able to play different lineups at the NBA level. Well, and uh, the, the team you work with, the Pelicans, what, what a breakout year for those guys uh, this season uh, for what they've been able to do and – and uh, contend right there, you know, Jared, I'm looking at the Pelicans, and they look like they're as good as any team in the Western Conference right now. Yeah, we're off to a good start. Um, you know, we're kind of in the dog days right now of the NBA, uh, you know, where, where the games come one after the other, and, you know, the all-star breaks right around the corner. Um, we've been banged up a little bit. You know, Z had a little bit of a hamstring issue, and Brandon's been out. Herb's had some issues, um, you know, but – when we're fully healthy, uh, I think we're a really dangerous team. And I think, you know, in terms of depth, we're getting a lot of experience for our young guys. Um, Dyson Daniels is a rookie. He's started a lot for us this year. I feel like he's been thrown in the fire as a rookie. And he's responded. I think he's one of the better defenders uh, from a rookie standpoint in the league. Um, you know, and, and he's a young kid. So, yeah, Trey Murphy's really emerged. Jose Alvarado here has really emerged. Najee Marshall has played at such a high level for us. He was an undrafted uh, kid out of Xavier a couple years ago. So our young guys are stepping up to the plate. Jackson Hayes, another you know young guy in, in his uh, third year from Texas. Uh, he's getting more minutes. So it's opportunity for guys. And hopefully that bodes well for us down the stretch as we get into this playoff conversation. There's a lot of really good teams in the West, as you know. Uh, so hopefully we can get back fully healthy and, and maybe make a you know more of a run for this uh, right after the, the All-Star break and trade deadlines coming up. So there's a lot of things going on around that. Um, and it's just a fun time right now, but it's an important time, an important stretch right now for our guys to, to fight through fatigue and, and get to the break and, and, and kind of re-energize for, for that stretch run. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, the West is a dogfight, you know, kind of a changing of the guard to see the Kings up there. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm a Thunder fan myself. And the fact they're even talking about the playoffs with the Thunder right now, that wasn't supposed to happen, you know. Yeah. But, 
Uh, just the way this year's gone, it's going to be fu- exciting to see what goes on down the uh, final stretch here. Jared, uh, the Big 12, let's, uh, let's look there. Uh, you know, we talk, it seems like every year, about this league being the best conference in America. But this year, from top to bottom, I mean, there, there's no bad teams. It's just unbelievable where this team is at here in this uh, 2022 through 2023 campaign. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think when we started the, the league play, you knew that these teams were going to beat up on each other. And you look at the bottom of the Big 12, I mean, you know, West Virginia and Oklahoma State, they're, they got some good, you know, good wins on their resume. And, you know, they're no slouch. They've been in a, almost all their games. Um, you know, Oklahoma, I, I've seen them multiple times. And, you know, they've had some tough losses where games are winnable games, too, um, both in non-conference and league play. So it's a tough league. Um, you know, every win, you know, you'll take, right? It doesn't matter if it's in overtime, if it's a low-scoring game, if it's a high-scoring game. Um, yeah, just if you can find a way to win a game. Uh, and even in your on your home floor now, I mean, so much is made of just taking care of, of your, your home court and, and having that home court advantage. Easier said than done this year in the Big 12, right? Because I, I think any team can go in and beat you. Um, but look at the top of the League. I mean, Kansas and Kansas State speaks for themselves. I think Iowa State is a really sneaky surprise team. Uh, TJ does a, a tremendous job uh, in, in terms of coaching that team. They have an identity to them. They're a very tough, gritty team. We've seen that in years past with TJ uh, taking that team to, to an NCAA tournament. Uh, they're probably not as talented as, the, as they've been in years past, but they got a lot of guys that have experience, that know how to play, that know how to win, that know who they are. Um, and they just got a great identity to them. Um, and then you look at Texas. I mean, the situation they've been in through all year, uh, it's been lingering over them uh, with the Chris Beard situation. That's not an easy thing. Uh, coaches always talk about eliminating distractions. And here they are 15 and three still and four and two in league play. So um, I, I give them a lot of credit just because I, I think there's a lot of things that are going on that, you know, you always talk about eliminating the distractions. There's just going to be a distraction. And it's, it's kind of in the back of their minds probably. But they're playing through it, um, and they, they got a lot of talent on that roster as well, and, and fully capable uh, of making a, a run in March. They, they got all the pieces. They got size. They got shooting. Uh, they got some depth. Um, and then it's, I mean, it's really surprising to see Baylor at three and three and thirteen and five because they're just as talented as anyone too at the guard position. We know Baylor's dangerous. You know, we know what what uh, what Scott Drew does there, and they got great guard play with with Cryer and Flagler and Keontae George. Um, so I, you know, they're three and three, but I wouldn't be sleeping on them either. I, I think they can get on, get hot. Uh, TCU could be in this conversation too of a team that can get hot and win some games. Um, so it's it's a fun league. And I think just those top six teams, though, there there are teams that can can all six of them can make runs in, in the NCAA tournament for sure. Oh yeah, let's let's start out with K State. They got the big win against KU uh, the other night, and Jerome Tang has done a fantastic job taking over that program. Keontae Johnston, I mean, this kid's unbelievable. Um, I was shocked that K-State was able to, to scoop him up and the way that he's performed this yeah. year. I mean, that, that, that program, what, what Tang has done, Johnston, how well he's played. Uh, Jared, that, that looks like one of the best stories in college basketball this year. I think it is. You know, it's funny, too, like they're, they're finally being talked about. And I, I say finally, I know they've been kind of the talk of college basketball since their Texas win in Austin. Um, but even before that, I was really impressed with them and just how they were playing. I mean, Mar- Marquise Noel was playing at such a high level. I think he had at one point an eight to one assisted turnover. Um, you know, he was scoring the ball at a really high level. Deontay's story speaks for itself. Um, coming back after not playing for almost two years to be as efficient as he's been, to be as productive as he's been. 
um, to really like to play like he's he hasn't missed any time because he plays very similar to how he played at Florida. And I would say he's a little bit better defensively, too. Um, so, I, I mean, Coach Tang to me is the front runner for coach of the year already. Uh, there's still, you know, boy, you know, a lot of lot, lot of basketball left, but I, I think he's the favorite right now and just what he's done in one year. And I love what he says about how he put the roster together because he's got a bunch of transfers, but he's got the got the right guys. I mean, Desi Sills yeah. the other night against Kansas steps up to the plate. Um, I'm a big Naquan Tomlin fan who's a 6'10 ball of clay still, late bloomer. Uh, you know, just a guy that is oozing with talent. And, you know, he's an older guy, but, uh, you know, his his path to Kansas State has been – a very difficult one. And they found him, um, you know, from a, from a Juco. So it's, you know, they still don't have David Nagesson who was a transfer. Um, he's a starter for them and he hasn't even been playing uh, and they're five and one in the league play. So I like where this team is at. Uh, they, they really do a great job on offense in terms of moving the ball, their, their play designs, uh, you know, the, the, the ATO to, to throw the lobby Keontae Johnson the other night that, I mean, they, they run some plays that are, Big time plays, but they're also, you know, they're not afraid to, to pull the trigger and and run some some really critical calls and in, in critical moments that, you know, most coaches might not call. So yeah. I like Coach Tang and his aggressiveness. Uh, and I think they're a team that's got a lot of pieces to, uh, to not only compete for a Big 12 championship, but, but really make some noise in the tournament, which is what the, the most important end goal is for these teams. Well, and I know you're you're a football fan, too, so this is all relevant here. But it's such a unique time, I think, Jared, for Kansas and Kansas State where they're both relevant in football and basketball at the same time here. Uh, I can't remember. It's been forever since we've talked about both the Sunflower Showdown schools being competitive in both sports. And ultimately, I think it's, it's better for both schools this way. No question. No question. Yeah. I think for Kansas, having a good football program, making a full game, uh, Lance Leipold, you know, having such a great start and hosting college game day, I mean, that's that's great for I'm, a you know, obviously being from Kansas City, I, I welcome, you know, the success of all three local schools. And, and right. then when you branch out to the Creighton and Wichita States and Nebraska's, you know, yeah, that it's great for for KC. But I think when you flip the script for basketball, I played in the Big 12 when I was at Mizzou, um, I was that, that final you know Big 12 team with Mizzou in 2012. I'm a, I'm a big 12 basketball alum. Uh, so I, I love the big 12 conference. I, I think it's, it's a basketball league. Uh, you know, I know that football drives everything, as you know, in college athletics, but I think the big 12 um, really should embrace being a basketball league. Cause that's yeah. what they've been uh, historically. And you even look back to like the eras in the Roy Williams, you know, Norm Quinn days, uh, you know, back in the day with the Larry Eustachies, like, Big 12 basketball has, has been very good, you know, in our lifetimes, you yes. know, dating back to the, the 80s and 90s. So I, I just think I, the history of the Big 12 in basketball has always been high, and that's what they are. Kansas drives that, but you look at some of these other schools, like, you know, when Beard was at Texas Tech and Texas and, you know, the, the Baylor's winning a national championship and the job Coach Drew's done to retool that program. Uh, what a great thing to, to be able to, to play in this league. It's, it's a great league. Well, and not to get too far off track, but along those same lines, you know, it's this conference uh, goes into its future and, you know, they have a new commissioner, obviously, and Brent Yormark. And I know there's been negotiations. There's been talks with Gonzaga about potentially joining the league. You know, what, what, what do you think about that idea of in, in the future of this, you know, this league with its basketball identity? We already know Houston's coming in. That's a big ad, but what about adding potential basketball schools like Gonzaga? Do you think that would be in the best interest in this league going forward? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I know it's going to be tough because I think, you know, the, the sports fan and, and obviously with the, the revenue piece and the money piece, it's all football, right? But I think from a basketball team, like Kelvin Sampson coming back to the Big 12, I can't wait for. Yeah. Um, I think he's one of the best coaches in America. Uh, the battles that are going to be had in the Big 12 with Houston coming in. But I think Gonzaga, too. I mean, my gosh, I, I can't imagine what that would be like, too, to have Mark Few and Gonzaga in the I think it's great for Gonzaga, and I think it's great for the league. Uh, I think it would make it even that much more competitive. And I think that's what you would want um, if you're a coach in the Big 12. You know, I, I know you know, Kansas has won so many Big 12 championships, and I, I just think Allen Fieldhouse is such a uh, tough place to play. I mean, it's not like Kansas is going anywhere. It just makes the league so much better and so much more competitive, and it helps March when you're in such a great league. Yes. So you're you're going to have a chance to get more teams in, and it, it makes your league that much more of a firepower in and so that's why I think they should embrace that. But we'll see what how it plays out because I know just the conversation that takes place in these league offices probably centered around football more than basketball. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, back to this year's league, uh, we mentioned K State. Their their uh, Sunflower Showdown rival KU. I thought KU did not play that great. Um, you know, the other night Jalen Wilson was fantastic, but all those guys found out and everything here. This Kansas team. I love what they've been able to do coming back off a championship. Grady Dick looks good. Uh, you know, a number of players in this Kansas team, Jarrett, but I mean, they can't defend that well, it seems. And I know that's got to frustrate Bill. And you know, Bill, I mean, he's a defense first guy. I can't imagine what he's saying to these guys in practice right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure those practices get pretty intense. Uh, you know, you're in the, the, the dog days of league play and you got guys that, uh, you know, are, are trying to recover, too, when you talk about your starters that play so many minutes, too. I mean, that bench is pretty short. And I think Coach Self and what he had to do in the Kansas State game, um, you know, to bring Zach Clements off the bench, I think he wants to try to establish another piece of the rotation if he can. Uh, but you're not going to play if you don't defend. And you're not going to play when you're a liability on defense either. Um, cause coach self just, that's, that's his DNA. Like he, you, you said it, I mean, he's a, he's a defensive minded coach first and foremost, he's great in terms of play design and drawing up plays. And we can go on and on about that and late game calls that he has, um, the, the, the plays that he draws up, he's one of the best there is, but at the end of the day, his DNA is defense. And, um, you know, especially defending without fouling. And you, you look at that, that bench and I, I love watching coach self because he really doesn't get mad on offense if he miss shots or, you know, he'll get frustrated on turnovers, but if you don't do your job on defense, that's when he's really going to get uh, India. So um, I, I've been impressed with the growth of Grady Dick on defense uh, beginning of the year to now. He's such a better defender. That's, I think, a big part of why Kansas is is really kind of been able to win some of these games is they got a freshman who doesn't play like a freshman. Uh, we know what we're going to get with Dewan and Jalen. Kevin McCuller has been a great addition. Um, they got to stay out of foul trouble. I think that's what we saw in the Kansas State game, and it's easier said than done. You know, there's so many whistles now being called around college basketball, especially in these close games late. It feels like there's whistle after whistle and you got to be smart. I, I I feel bad for the players at times because they just get put in positions where I don't know what they're supposed to do uh, in some right. of these calls. Some of the calls that don't go their way. And it's it's across the it's, it's across college basketball. So we'll see. I, I think that the rotation, the bench is always going to be in the back of my mind with this specific Kansas team. Their starters can win them any game. But can they get a lift from their bench when they need it? Uh, when they're when they're maybe in foul trouble? When they when they need a four to five minute stretch to spell Jalen Wilson for a few minutes? What does that look like? Because that's what they're going to have to lean on at times in March. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the team I'm looking at, 
uh, Jared, I don't know about you that, you know, I think could still make a big jump here that hasn't played their best ball, best ball is that Baylor team. And the way they're about to be tested here, you get Oklahoma here Saturday, but then you play Kansas at home, Arkansas, and then Texas. That's a gauntlet they have. They're three and three in league play. What do you think about the Baylor Bears? You think Baylor's going to get things figured out here with, uh, with Scott Drew and this team here? Yeah, I mean, they, they have a uh, you know, tough schedule coming up here. Uh, they get Oklahoma on Saturday. And, you know, I think when you, you look at Baylor, um, they got a really talented freshman in Keontae George. Uh, he is a freshman that can, can go score at all three levels. He had 27 the other day. Um, he's been on a tear of late, I would say, over the last two, three weeks. And he's really starting to put it together. Uh, he is a very, very talented player that I, I think you you can play through him at all times. Uh, they're getting more production from Jalen Bridges. That was a, a guy that they really wanted to see emerge. Uh, very much modern day four man. Uh, maybe can play you some small ball five if you needed it to, but he can stretch the floor. Great cutter, moves without the ball really well. Great finisher. Uh, Langston Love, they want to see get going. He was coming back from injury. They're really led by LJ Cryer, Adam Flegler, and Keontae. I mean, those, those three guards really do a lot for them. Flegler's been really good as a passer. Uh, he's in a totally different role than he was last year. He was much more of a scorer shooter. Now he's more of a playmaker and pick and roll. And I, I think it, it's tough when you go from just being a strictly rotational scorer shooter to then having the ball in your hands and you got to be decisive in decision-making and you got to set the table for other guys and you got to find that balance of being a facilitator and a scorer. Uh, and I think he's starting to kind of come into his own. So I think you're right. I'm, I'm not sleeping on Baylor at all in this league. I know they're three and three and they've had some tough losses, but um, they're, they're young. I mean, they, they need Keontae to be what he's capable of being on both ends of the floor. And then they're trying to get some other guys to just step up and play consistent. And I think the Jalen Bridges, the Langston Loves, you know, they they're, they play Josh Awanja that, that comes off the bench. He's got to give them a little bit more. So they're like kind of like Kansas in a way where they're trying to yeah. get some bench production and they're trying to have their, their stars really come to play. But in terms of freshmen, Keontae George is right there at the top right now in terms of the the, the talent level really showing right now and in, in, in how he's playing on both ends of the floor. When I look at those bottom four teams, Oklahoma State, OU, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, they're all kind of in a similar boat of sorts, Jared. I mean, you're talking about OSU and Tech both at 10 and 8, and then OU and West Virginia at 11 and 7. And of course, Tech's at 0 and 6, and OU and OSU 2 and 4, West Virginia 1 and 5. Um, who is more of those bottom four teams? Who's the most likely you think to, to kind of figure things out and, and uh, get back in contention here and ultimately make the tournament? Who, who is the best you think among those bottom four? I think it's Oklahoma. Um, I just think that they have a, the, the best chance in terms of you know, the, the gauntlet that, that they've kind of been in, in in their own right, too, and in terms of, like, I, I know yesterday they did not play well. It was a tough loss for them at Oklahoma State. I think they really needed that one. Um, but I, I do think that with Sherfield uh, really leading the charge, you, your guard play is so important, and he can really score it. Uh, Jalen Hill, you know, needs to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, Milos Duzan is, is a very emerging freshman. They got some pieces um, and I, I really think from a just a X's and O's standpoint that they, they've they've had some games where they, they've just kind of let the foot off the gas late in games. Uh, but Porter Moser is a terrific coach. Uh, I, I, he's got a pedigree there of, of winning meaningful basketball games in February. We still got a long way to go. I just yeah. think Oklahoma, they're, they're right there where the ball is going to start bouncing their way a little bit. You know, it, it just feels like they're right there and 
some some calls don't go their way. The ball doesn't bounce their way. They don't get to a 50 50 ball. Uh, the, the, the games that I've seen, they're right there that, you know, they, they, they had, I was at their game in, in Tulsa when they, they probably should have beat Arkansas. Um, and they just really couldn't make some plays down the stretch and they, they just kind of got buried. And that's a sign of just a young team and, and a team that's, you know, again, uh, some transfers in the, in this equation, trying to put the pieces together. There could be a team that could sneak up and make a little bit of a run. And I, I think Porter's just used to doing that. And I, so I would, I would give them the benefit of the doubt of those bottom teams. Yeah, we know Porter could coach. Um, that's a given. You know, we'll see if they can uh, put it all together. Um, you know, bracketologists at one point had, I think, all 10 Big 12 teams in the tournament. Obviously, that, that can't happen. There's just not enough conference wins to go around. Um, but now I, I think I'm looking at it this way, Jared. You're probably going to get six teams for sure. Those six teams, they're all in the top 25. And then beyond that, um, maybe another team or two. I know you like that Oklahoma team can – can Oklahoma State or West Virginia or Texas Tech, can either one of those make a, make a run to essentially uh, get the tournament here, you think? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'll be honest. I, I thought going into the year, I thought Texas Tech might be one of those teams. Um, but, you know, obviously 0-6 in, in Big 12 play, uh, it's, that's pretty dark and pretty bleak. West Virginia at 1-5, um, you know, I, I don't know if they're in the same conversation as in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So I'll give the edge to Oklahoma State. And, Look, I mean, Oklahoma State, big win last night, right? I mean, taking care of your, your home floor, um, they were down six at half and then just, I mean, my gosh, just tur- turned it on in the second half and really kind of the home court advantage, uh, I think, played a, played a factor. But the reason why I like Oklahoma State is I think Bryce Thompson's playing a little bit better um, this year and, and, and really in terms of Big 12 plays, he scored the ball to a pretty high level. They have Caleb Boone back, who I, I think can give them, you know, 10 plus points and seven plus rebounds a game. Uh, and then Avery Anderson, who's who's, uh, you know, a returner who, the, you know, we know a lot about in terms of his ability to not only score it, but defend at a high level for terrific athlete. Um, so, I, you know, I, I like Oklahoma State, another 10 and eight, and they're kind of right there in the middle of the pack. You're talking about a team like behind Oklahoma that that could maybe sneak their way into the tournament, and 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 who knows? I mean, I still think this comes down to Kansas City in the Big Twelve tournament, yeah. and a team having to win a game or two. And if they do that, then all of a sudden you're talking seven teams in the in the league. Uh, we'll see what other leagues do, but I think Big Twelve was right there at the top uh, of, of being able to, in terms of the committee making decisions. If right. Oklahoma State does enough and gets enough quality wins, maybe gets an upset, they'll be able to be in that picture. Last question. We'll uh, we'll end on this. When when you step back and big picture, look at the rest of college basketball. You know, I I see Kansas is up there, and and you know Texas is a top ten team. K State, you know, right right among there. What what about the the rest of the teams in college basketball? Who is the team or teams to beat? You think when it comes down to just winning it all? Who who do you like this year around the country, Jerk? So I think Houston is, is I mean, the number one team in the country right now, deservedly so, uh, with Marcus Sasser back, who's playing better. Jarris Walker, really talented freshman. Uh, Coach Sam has um, you know, pedigree there and, and the culture built there, Houston. Um, yeah, I think they're a dangerous team. I really like Alabama. I, I think they have the size, athleticism. They have an absolute lethal score in Brandon Miller. Noah Clowney is emerging. Mark Sears is a transfer that can really score the ball. Um, they got some depth there. They their athleticism is is really a, a, you know in the SEC you got to have that. And, and Alabama would be there in the equation for me. I think they're really good. Purdue kind of is over overlooked a little bit. Um, Zach Eady's having just a dominant year uh, as a center. Leads the Big Ten in scoring and rebounding. 
but they got some really nice pieces. They know how to play. And, you know, Coach Painter, again, as a, a, I know Purdue's had some some of those lulls in March that's going to be talked about, but I still think they have a lot of good pieces there that they could, they could make some noise in the tournament. Just saw Xavier last night, um, you know, upset that, uh, you know, I, I know that's that, that Sean Miller's going to be thinking about that. They've been very good. Um, and then I wouldn't sleep on Tennessee either um, with, with the job there that, that, that coach Barnes has done a lot of talent. Julian, Julian Phillips, really talented freshman is playing well. Um, uh, Viscovi's back. Uh, they, they really do have um, a good nucleus there. They've won a lot of games and again, another good culture that's built. And I keep saying culture because I think some of these coaches, when Kansas is in the same conversation, they know how to win games and they've been in these big, bigger moments and they've won some big games in non-conference or they're top their leagues. They know how to win. That always bodes well for March. So I I would put a lot of those teams and then I wouldn't sleep on UCLA. I I think they had a really tough go. Um, They lost a couple of games in non-conference play and they really looked like a team that was going to go by the wayside they fought their way back and now they're, you know, 16 and two and they're not a great league, but they're a team that, that that's dangerous. That's been there. Tiger Campbell leads them. Jalen Clark's been very good. Um, obviously Jaime Vaquez is, is a, is a stud. So um, I wouldn't sleep on UCLA either. Jared uh, out of time. Appreciate you joining us, man. And uh, best of luck uh, to your Pelicans this season. We'll uh, certainly be uh, watching and, and uh, we'll uh, be talking again down the road. Appreciate you joining us, man. Tyler, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, OHKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo. He's on Facebook. He's also by email, Brian.O'Connor at LPL.com. And you can also reach out to him by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. And uh, check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out twice a week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing? We're doing good, Todd. How are you doing today? I'm very well. I'm very well. Always a pleasure to uh, talk to you, my friend. And uh, this week, you know, Bo, I-, I love playoff time. Don't get me wrong. But part of me, too, is like, man, only four games? I mean, it, I- I- we're almost yeah. over with. I-, I-, I'm- I love this time of year, but I, I kind of hate it, too, to be honest. I get that because, you know, we get so, like um... – overwhelmed throughout the season of so many games and you can jump from one thing to the next that yeah we end up watching more of the couple of games that we have but I don't know we got good game we have good matchups across the board we had good matchups last week across the board there was nothing yeah. that we were like ah oh, this game there was not that kind of games they were all exciting yeah the the number one question I have going into this week and we'll pick these games here in just a second um, I'll admit you were right about the Cowboys last week. I was wrong about Tom Brady and the Bucks. I'll say that. But the the thing for me that I wonder as they follow up to that, Cowboys get a road win in the playoffs. I don't care if it was the Bucks or whoever it may be. Winning a road game in the playoffs as the Cowboys, I think, was a breakthrough. Um, first time in my lifetime they've won a road playoff game. Now is that monkey off their back? Are the Cowboys ready to play? Or are they still going to cowboy here? Uh, is is the woes out of question now? Can they just play ball now? You know, I, I don't know. And I don't believe in a lot of that stuff. But I, what I do know is that Dak Prescott played as well as he's possible playing this past week. Their defense played well. They took it to the Bucks in every which way you could. 
if they play that good, they'll beat the 49ers. But I don't know that they will beat the 49ers. I mean, this is going to all come down to styles and who dominates the style of the game. I don't think it speaks poorly to the Cowboys if they lose to the 49ers. But I do think it speaks highly of them if they win. And I think that it can honestly go either way. I, I, I really think McCarthy's like done enough. He's back now. I think so, too. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can indict him on losing this game. I, I don't. No. I, this was the week we talked all throughout the season of Mike McCarthy's happy. He's going to have these issues. And there was the Sean Payton talk and everything else. But it had to have happened by now. There had to be the Mike McCarthy blew the game kind of thing. And that's not what happened week 18. And it's not what happened in the playoff game. And now you're going against the 49ers who have been hotter than donut grease. If you lose to them, it's not going to be um, uh, going to count against you in a big way. I'll say this about McCarthy. Um, the best thing that he's done this year, Bo, is let his coordinators do their jobs and let them oh, yeah. Dan Quinn has been maybe the best coordinator in the entire NFL this year and has done a terrific job with that defense. They played lights out last week. Kellen Moore, I think, is an excellent OC and a really good play caller. And with what he's a been able to do to without much of a receiving core behind CD. I mean, Dalton Schultz was phenomenal last week at tight end. Um, we know about the two running backs they have and everything. I mean, McCarthy has taken a step back and his coordinators are running the show. If they lose Dan Quinn, that to me will be the real test of McCarthy is what does he do to replace Dan Quinn and what's that defense going to be look like after that? Because Dan Quinn is is just as much responsible, I think, for their success as Mike McCarthy is. I would agree. I think that both the coordinators have done a great job this year. Um, I think Dan Quinn has done a superior job to just about anybody. I agree with you on that. Um, I think they will lose Dan Quinn. If he wants a job, he'll get it. If he wants – I mean, I think after Sean Payton, he's probably the guy that most teams are going to look at. Um, if there's a job that he wants, he'll take it. But uh, I do think that that is the best thing Mike McCarthy's done is instead of being the cook in the kitchen, he's let his coordinators be the good guys cooking, and he's just been the CEO of the team, which is what he really needed to do his last couple of years in Green Bay. And it's what he's done really well now. And, I mean, you got to you gotta tip your hat to the guy and realize, hey, I got some shortcomings, so why don't I let these people who can do their job better than I can right now do it? And I'm not sure that – that, that um, you know, uh, what am I? Kellen Moore. Off? Kellen Moore. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure why Kellen. I don't, I'm not sure that Kellen Moore can put together a better game plan than Mike McCarthy could on a given day. But as the head coach, you don't have time. You've got too many other things you have to do that are more important than the offensive game plan um, in the bigger scale. So I do like. I like what you said there about that. That it's really is a piece of the best thing McCarthy can do is run the team and let his coaches coach. Yeah, for sure. And this matchup they have against San Francisco, this is the first game we'll pick here. Um, last week, Brock Purdy kind of gets off to a slow start, took a minute to get in rhythm. But once he was going, 
that offense was unstoppable. The defense gave up some big plays, granted, to DK Metcalf and Geno Smith and company. But then they started to figure out in that second half there. Um, this Niners team is such a complete football team. And I think that the Seahawks gave them all they could handle last week. You know, the Seahawks, uh, you know, went down swinging. And yet the Niners still busted their ass in the second half. I mean, th- this Niners team has got something figured out. And I-, I-, I don't know about you, Bo. I'm not worried about Brock Purdy being the number 262nd pick of the draft and a rookie and all that. I mean, this team is is just playing in complete form. None. Of, it doesn't feel no. like that stuff matters. So I think the 49ers are very unique. And what they've done is this is the genius of their coaching. They're not a a quarterback-driven offense. They're a run-first offense and don't turn the ball over. They have that great defense on the other side. And so they want to shorten games by running the ball, running the ball, and they want quarterbacks who aren't going to make mistakes. So it doesn't matter if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance or Brock Purdy. Just don't make mistakes. You know, we're not going to ask you to go out and get a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. That's not what they're going to do. That's not who they want to be at all. They don't want their guys going out and throwing for 350 and four touchdowns. If the 49ers have to do that, they're in trouble. They know that. So they're the best team in the league, I think, this year, playing to their absolute strengths. Now, it just so happens that their strengths – or the two things that if you're really, really good at, you can be in any game, and that's running the football and playing defense. And it just goes to so show you don't have to be a, a, a high-powered offense to be a top team. Right. The 49ers have just changed this up. I was talking to somebody earlier today. We were recording for my podcast, and I said I think what has to happen in this game for Dallas is Dallas has to come out with their hair on fire. Dallas has to try to get to the 49ers early and get a lead. No one's put the 49ers, no one's gotten ahead of them yet in the last few weeks and made the 49ers switch the offense from run the ball, run the clock down, shorten the game to, oh shit, we've got to go score points now. And that's what I think the way to beat the 49ers is. And if I'm the Cowboys, the Cowboys are set up to do that. If they can get the ball first and get a score and then use that fast defense to to stop the run of the first couple of possessions and get a 10 or 14-point lead, that's going to be the key for me for Dallas to win the game. It's not going to be able to come back on them. It's that you've got to shorten the game in a different way. You've got to make the 49ers go down and make them change their offense to make Purdy sit back in the shotgun and have to throw the ball all around because they're not equipped to do so. Right. If you can do that, Dallas can win. If I was the Dallas Cowboys, if I won the toss this week, I would take the ball. Yeah. I just I know it sounds weird, but I would take the ball. And it's because I, I think you've got to be up at halftime. You've got to put the pressure on their offense to go out and have to score quickly because they're not really capable of doing that. Before we pick this game real quick, I'll, I'll add this one more point. 
Dak, last week, you could argue, played the best game of his whole career. He was fantastic. And then the week prior against the Commanders, he was horrible. I mean, peaks and valleys with this guy, right? And then Brock Purdy, I mean, he's he's been steady Eddie, right? I mean, he's um, he's not turning the football over. He's had some really nice games. Um but he's not played bad. He's he's either been mid or good. I yeah. feel like I know more about what I'm going to see from Brock Purdy than I will from Dak Prescott on, on Sunday in this game. I see that point, and I don't disagree. But I also know that only one of those two quarterbacks are capable of carrying their team. True. So I, I – and that's not a knock on Brock Purdy. No, that's not at all. how the offense is set up there. That that's meant to be that way for them, for the 49ers. So I I I see where you're going with that. And I don't disagree. Um, I don't know what you're gonna get either, but I know what I would want. And I would want the Cowboys to come out throwing the ball, uh, getting getting those backs out wide and getting them in the different one-on-one situations, running the ball as much as I can. I mean, I want that offense. Here's what I would do to the defense. I would run the offense in a way to where the defense, I call the plays in a way where the defense has got to defend the entire field. So that may sound a little unusual. What I mean by that is don't be afraid to throw on rundowns and run on throwing downs. Go against all your predictable stuff and make the 49ers defend the entire field. Get C.D. Lamb early. In the first five plays, I've got to throw one vertical ball to C.D. Lamb. I don't care if I complete it. I just got to throw it. And the ball has to come out. I've got to have a screen pass on one of my first five or six plays. I've got to have some kind of a mesh play where I'm running linebackers into different spots because I'm crossing guys. I've got to do all those in my first few plays to make them defend the entire field. Yeah. I would literally take a whiteboard like I've got here behind me and I would say, where do I want the ball to go? And I would want my first 10 plays to cover every part of the field. Short, middle, short, left, short, right, middle, 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 left, middle, right, deep, middle, deep, left, deep, right. I got to make them defend it because I don't want those pass rushers coming at me. And I need to be as unpredictable as possible. Mm-hmm. And if I can get you defending that, if I get that defense defending the whole field, then I'm going to find the holes with that offense and let Dak play. I also think you're going to see Dak Prescott run some read option this week. A little bit of a wrinkle. Again, something else. They'll, they'll run some plays to put people in space that would then open up space on the run pass option. So don't be surprised if you see some of that. You're going to see some wrinkles, I think, this week you haven't seen because you're going to have to show this defense something they're not ready for. Yeah. With all that said, Bo, um, Cowboys 49ers, Niners favored by four. What's your pick? I, I really want to pick Dallas. I really do. I think you like I, the Dallas team. I, I really do, which sucks because I'm not a Dallas Cowboy. <laughs> I was saying this on my podcast. I really hate the Dallas Cowboys, but I really like this team. 
when Dak Prescott's playing well, I think he's a top 10 quarterback. I really do. You get when you get a good Dak, you've got a good team. They've got a really athletic defense, and I love the combo in the run game. But I love the 49ers playing defense, and I love the way they run the ball. And the difference for the 49ers is McCaffrey. The fact that he can kill you in the passing game as well. Unless Dallas is really creative and really gets out ahead, I don't see how they win the game. I'm going to pick the 49ers. I, I If it was gambling on it, I just wouldn't gamble on the game at all because I can see it. I can see the road for the Cowboys to get there. But the 49ers are really good right now. and They don't make a lot of mistakes. You got to force them into a way to make mistakes. I don't think they can do that. So I'm picking the 49ers. Begrudgingly, I would lay the four points. Um. Here's how this. Here's how I see this game playing out, Bo. Um, tie all the way, back and forth. Uh, final seconds. Brett Maher misses a field goal to send the game to overtime, and the Niners win by three. <laughs> and the Cowboys yeah. cover, and the Niners win. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 if I had to bet it, I would take the 49ers just because I could see it. More likely being a six, seven point game. But it would not surprise me if the Cowboys won this game by 14 points. They can't put it in Brett Maher's hands. They can't. And and they're not going to win the game by two or three. It's not going to be them coming back to win the game. It's going to be if the Cowboys win, it'll be them just blasting the 49ers early and forcing the 49ers to change who they are offensively to try to catch the Dallas, try to catch the Cowboys. I'm not sure they're going to pull that off, but that's what I would try to do. Yeah. Let's talk Bill Bengals. They can win win the game. If they do that, if they do it that way, they can win the game in double digits too. They're not going to win it that way by three. Right. Let's talk Bill's Bengals now. Um, This one, we were supposed to get this game a couple weeks ago. Obviously, we know what happened. Um, this game is going to take place in Buffalo. It should be, I would think, an emotional game. Um, might have DeMar Hamlin in the stadium, too, uh, with that said. Um, you know, I, I, I look at this, too. What's interesting, Bo, is neither one of these teams played their best last week. The Bills' defense struggled a lot. And the Bengals, the offense didn't look like their normal selves. Remember, they only scored 14 points on offense. You had three from a field goal and then another touchdown that you had uh, from uh, your defensive unit uh, there from uh, Cincinnati, uh, with that being said. And so I wonder who's going to wake up, the Bills' defense or the Bengals' offense from a week ago? Who who? Who got the wake-up call, you think, after having a, you know, half-assed performance last week? Well, I, I They both did have half-assed performances. All I will say is I want to give some credit to the Ravens, first off. The Ravens' defense gave the Bengals everything they wanted in that game. I mean, they just kept coming and kept the Bengals coming. Bengals' defense played good enough to win. Yeah, and the, the Ravens' defense kept – they, they kept the run game intact, and then they also 
uh, were not allowing anything deep. So th there was never any rhythm for Burrow. Now, what I think you're going to see this week is a little different. Uh, the other thing the Ravens did especially well that kept this game so close last week was that on offense, they just kept running the ball. And they were just destroying the front of the Bengals' defense, which has been so much better against the run for the last two months. Uh, but it was really bad up front, especially that big defensive tackle. Um, oh, God, I can't remember the name. Um, dang it. The big nose tackle who was having some problems with the center the entire night. Mm -hmm. um, I can't think of his name. It'll come to me in a minute. But anyway, when they don't have that piece going up front and that allows the defensive ends to get the ends, the shut down each end, then you can run the ball against the Bengals. I think the most important thing is going to be for Buffalo to slow down, to run the ball. Uh, the other worry I have for Buffalo is Josh Allen has been turnover prone lately, and he's made mistakes in the red zone that they can't afford to make against the Bengals. If they go in there and he throws an interception in the in the red zone again and gives up another possession in the red zone, they're going to lose this game. Because the Bengals are not going to make that make those problems. They're not going to go in there. They're not going to have the same thing of a turnover, you know, inside the 20. The issue also, it could rain, it could be cold, there could be snow. Uh, I heard it's going to be a rain-snow mix possible they're calling for during game time. Again, which team runs the ball better? The other issue on the defensive side for Buffalo, this will be really helpful for the offense, is no Von Miller. Where's the pass rush coming from? They haven't been the same since Vaughn went down. No, that pass rush is not. And if, if Joe Burrow has time to set in there, he's one of the best in the league at getting the ball out of his hands. But if he's not having to run around, if he's able to sit in the pocket for a second and a half, he's going to find Chase or Higgins or Boyd open. Even in the rain, he'll find it. It will happen. I think this is a super competitive game. I think these are two really, really good teams. I'm picking the Bengals in this game. I know they're a five-point dog, but I'm picking the Bengals to win the game. I think that, that they're going to figure that. I think the pass rush of the Bills and the way the defense hasn't been as good for the Bills for the last month is the difference. The Bengals will make a few less mistakes. If I was Buffalo, I'd run the ball, and I'd get Josh Allen involved in that running game too. I would tell him, hey, we're going to run the ball in the red zone as much as possible. You might have to take that, take that passing game out of his hands in the red zone. That wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, especially as hard as he is to tackle. So give me, give me the bangles in this game. I just think that if it's all said and done, there's going to be a mistake made by that Buffalo offense. You know, Josh Allen will try to do something he's really not capable of doing. And I worry about the pass rush. I like the Bengals. The, uh, the Bills have been waiting over 365 days for their chance at revenge from the Kansas City Chiefs. And they're one win away from getting there. Um, I, I think the Bills are – the motivation is unbelievable. Between that, DeMar playing the Bengals again and everything – just all those things, that factor, I don't think can be underestimated. I like the Bills to win and cover that five-and-a-half-point margin 
Um, they pull it away late in this game. I think the DeMar thing is a big thing. I think they will be very emotional. I think that Kansas City thing is nothing. I don't think they care right now. These you two think teams, they care about getting back to the AFC Championship game? Not this, this week, they got to worry about each other first. And both these teams know that. Neither one of these teams are looking past the other to look at Kansas City. Both these teams think they're the team to beat. I mean, can't the Bills have been talking about getting back at the chance to play Kansas City all year, though. The Bills? They've talked about that publicly. There's no way the Bills are looking past the Bengals. They know how good the Bengals are. The Bengals had them down before what all happened happened in that game. They're going to focus on what's in front of them. The Bengals will too. They both look. All three of those teams—the Chiefs, the Bills, the and the and the and the, and the Bengals—all think they're the best team. Mm-hmm. They think you got to beat us, not we got to beat you. And. If Buffalo is worried about Kansas City, they're not getting past Cincinnati. See, I I disagree. This has been something they've talked about for months was getting the, the chance at revenge. And If that's a problem now, if that's what they're thinking now, they are not going to beat this team this week. See, I, mean, I, I disagree. I think it's an extra motivating factor. It's, we got to get back there. You know what I mean? I, you got you to win the one in front of you first. And yeah, I think exactly. they you win the one in front of you to get there, yes. Yeah, but you got to win this one first. And if you if you mess around in this game, you're thinking about next week, you're not winning. The Bills respect the Bengals enough to know they got to fight this game first. The Bengals know the same thing about the Bills. They respect the Bills enough they got to win that game before they play Kansas City. I don't think any of those three teams are afraid of any of the other three. No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. I don't think that's a motivating factor. I think they're saying we got to win this week, especially the Bills and the Bengals, because they realize they got to play two games, two harder games. Right. But you got to win this one first. Next week don't mean shit if you lose this week. Right. So I don't know if if anyone in Buffalo is running around this week saying, "Well, we got we got to get back to Kansas City next week." If they're thinking that this week, you're fucked because. You're overlooking a team that can kick your ass. And it's the same thing for the Bengals. If the Bengals are going around saying, we got to get to Kansas City next week to beat them because we beat them three times in a row, then they're going to get beat up because they're looking past the better team. But see, see, that's where I disagree is that your mindset is we have to win this one because we need to get back and we we got we're on a mission, you know. I mean, like we're yeah. I don't know that any of these teams are, are looking at it in that big way right now. When you're down to this few teams, you've got to win the one in front of you now because every team left is good. Right. But, I mean, that's, looking what, past that's what Buffalo's been talking about all year, though. I mean, they've made yeah, that known. But I don't think what happened for those 18 weeks now matters. Yeah. Said for those 18 weeks don't matter anymore. So a lot of teams are at home that were talking for 18 weeks, too. Yeah, that's true. Um. Let's look at the uh, the other games, the Saturday games. Eagles and Giants. Bo, um, the Giants, I- I'm so impressed with Brian Dable. Um, they have no business being where they are. That The talent, in all honesty, is not much better than what they were last year under Joe Judge, that roster. And here they are in the divisional round. 
Um, the Eagles are coming off a bye. I know they didn't play their best at the end of the regular season, but I think that rest was much needed. Um, eventually, Bo, I mean, the Giants, it's a great story, but this has to catch up with these guys at some point, right? I mean, it well, is a great story, and it's a great coaching job by Brian Dable, but, I mean, Daniel Jones, really? I mean, Daniel Jones can't play like he did last week again, can he? Um. I, I have some questions. I don't know that he can. Uh, first question first. I do think the ride's going to end here. I think the Eagles are going to win. I don't think it's because the, the Giants just aren't good. Uh, Brian Dayball, first off, is my coach of the year in the NFL. Flat out, he's the guy, to me, is the, the, the pick for coach of the year in the NFL this year. Um, this team, we've seen this team be different teams throughout the season. They have a their defense has become really good, especially their front. Their defensive front has been phenomenal in the last six, eight weeks. Kayvon Thibodeau might be the defensive rookie of the year. Um, him and Aiden Hutchinson can go back and forth on that, but he's been incredible. Um, on the offensive side, they're the Giants are running the ball well. And what Daniel Jones did last week was incredible. It makes me wonder if. The Giants now are finally getting from Daniel Jones what they thought they were going to get from him in the beginning. Like they knew it would take him a while to get there. But is this the guy they thought he was going to be when they drafted him? It makes me wonder if the Giants are going to say, hey, he's our guy now. Right. There's been a lot of question marks about that. He played fantastic last week. I don't expect him to play that well this week simply because I think the Eagles are the best team in the in the whole NFL. And this is going to be two teams that are going to run the football. And the difference in the end is that the, the, the Eagles' defense is a little bit better, but the Eagles have big play capability that the Giants just don't have right now. Yeah. So it's going yeah. to be one of those games where you're going to see a whole lot of running, and then you're going to see the big play happen. And the Eagles are more capable of pulling those off with their two great uh, wide receivers and Jalen Hurts than the Giants are. Sure, That, to me, is the difference in the game. I'm taking the Eagles, laying the points. But I do think it's going to be a close game. I think I think all four of these games are going to be really well-played games this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, but – I like the I like the Eagles a lot, and I think that you know the Eagles lost two of the last three going out at the end of the year. I think the bye week was perfect for them. Yeah, and I think that you know Jalen's Jalen's healthy. You know he's not even on the injury report now. Hey, look, they're they're ready. They're it. They've had the Giants' number for years too. Yeah, and I just think this is they've a owned that rivalry. This is the team that I've said for a while that I don't want to play Dallas in a one game scenario. But, boy, I don't want to have to prepare for all I have to prepare for against the Eagles. There's just so many things they do well. Yeah. And that's – that's they're – offensively, they're the team that's the hardest to prepare for, I think, in the NFL. Yeah. The uh, the NFC beast is in full force. Yeah. Um, you know, looking yeah, like – I mean, it's amazing. Looking like and, the, uh, the SEC, you know, yeah. Yeah, it just means more. Uh, you know, it's funny in the East, though, at the beginning of the year, none of us thought that was going to happen. We all thought the Eagles would be pretty good. Thought the Cowboys would be okay. 
But we didn't think the Giants were going to be very good and the Commandos were going to be awful. Commandos even played better than we thought. I mean, they were, what, 7-10 and 10 when it's all said and done or 7 yeah, 9 they just trusted Carson Wentz too much. They just trusted Carson Wentz too much. Yeah. In the end, I mean. Were, Taylor Heineke would have taken them to the playoffs. I, maybe. Maybe. That, that's a that's a rough and tumble division now. Yeah. So with yeah. that, uh, are we both going Eagles here? I'm Eagles going Eagles. Seven? Yeah. yeah. I'm going um, and then finally, the uh, Jags taking on the Chiefs. Chiefs favored by eight and a half here. Bo, uh, what the Jags did last week to come back from four interceptions from Trevor Lawrence and turn that into four touchdowns, that was absolutely incredible. Hell of a turnaround win. Um, you know, Doug Peterson, Dougie P has done an incredible job with that Jags team this year. Um, with that said, you can't be – Playing that bullshit this week, you're not going to get get away with that on the road at Arrowhead in Kansas City. The Jags have to play a perfect game, and I don't know if they have the discipline to have a perfect game in them. I agree. I think this is the most one sided game of the weekend, for sure. Uh, I don't think, and the spread reflects that. I still think there's some things about the Chiefs I don't like. Right. And I still think they have not played their best game yet. You're more so picking against the Jags rather than picking. Yeah, I just think that, I mean, look, all it took last week for the Jags to lose that game was for the Chargers to get a first down in the last possession. And and you're not coming back for 20 down on the Chiefs. Nobody is. Um, I don't know the Chiefs are going to get up 20 because I don't know that they're capable of getting up 20 right now. I, I, not against a good team. And the Jags are a good team. They're a good team. They're a solid defense. Um, their offense, Trevor Lawrence makes a lot of mistakes, but he's also capable of making big plays. ETN has been excellent in the last month. Yeah. And um, Kirk outside has been excellent at wide receiver. He's a great pickup in the free agency for, for, the, for the Jags. I know they had to overpay him, and that was a big deal. They did that, but it's really been a good fit. I'm just not sure the Jags are ready to be there yet. I had them losing last week. I have them losing this week. But I don't think there is – I don't think it's a knock on them to say they're going to lose this game by 10 points. I think that they've done much better than anybody expected this season. They are overmatched here. Doug Peterson coming off all the shit that that, uh, Urban Meyer left them. I, I think that it says a lot about to the organization in which way they're going in Jacksonville. Yeah, I just I, I'm picking the Chiefs here. I think the Chiefs are the better team, and I don't think it's close. I think they're a, I think they're a much better team. What the Chiefs need to do though is play a solid football game of no mistakes, no no errors, and cut out the backyard schoolboy bullshit. If I see another one of these ring around the posy plays, it does nothing. You can talk about ring around the posy all you want. You got a fucking 10-yard penalty on the play. It doesn't matter. Those are not going to help you. What's going to help you is playing defense and running the football. So play defense and run the football. Because you're not going to be able to pull that shit against better teams. And now every team left is good. 
right? You go if they pull that shit against either Buffalo or Cincinnati next week, they're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> because both those teams think they're better than the Chiefs already. And pray perfectly honest, they both are better than the Chiefs. Both of them. It doesn't matter which one wins that game because they're either of them's gonna beat the Chiefs next week. Okay. I don't care okay. if it's an arrowhead. I don't care if the soul of Derek Thomas shows up to play defensive tackle. <laughs> I just I really think that whoever team wins that Buffalo Cincinnati game is battle tested and a better team. And I think the Chiefs have done too much Mickey Mouse bullshit. And when they should have focused on, and I get it, they they do it in a nice way. They do it in a way of trying to break up the monotony of a long season. I do get that, and I see the use of that, but they do too much of it. It's it's an immature way of playing. It's a, it's not it's not obtainable every single week to do that. You're yeah. going to eventually face somebody who is going to punch you in the mouth, right? And now we're at the time where it's nut cutting time, as they say. And these teams are all really good. Yeah, and they're going to have to beat it if they get through Jacksonville, which they I think they will. They're going to have to beat either Cincinnati or Buffalo, and either the 49ers or the Eagles. Those are two really strong opponents back-to-back. And I've said to you for two months now, give me the signature win to see the Chiefs have. Give me the signature win. Who have they beaten where you win? Whoa, that's a really good team. The Niners. Yeah, the Niners without who they currently are. Right. Yeah. I'm still looking for the Chiefs to be the team they can be. Look. They may be one through 53, the most talented team. They got the best quarterback. But it seems like they get caught up in too much of the Mickey Mouse stuff. I thought that Raider game was a breakthrough. I, I think that they're, they're I here. think that was a competition thing. That was that was the Raiders played like shit. They didn't, I mean, they didn't they, they looked terrible in that game. That wasn't even a real NFL team at that point. No Derek Carr. You got the backup quarterback. That wasn't an epiphany. That was we beat up a team of. That was like being a. That's like being the varsity team playing the JV team. That's what it was. They haven't beaten a varsity team in two months. Yeah. Now part of that you can argue is the schedule, but the to the good teams they've played down the down the road down the down the end of this backside of the schedule have given them help. Yeah. I mean, it was why I didn't think that I thought the Chargers were going to beat the Jags. I thought the Chargers were going to beat the Chiefs. I thought the Chiefs wanted no part of the Chargers. I'll say this. I'll take uh, – all coaches left, though. I'm taking Andy over any of them. I disagree. I think pretty much everyone left is good. I think McCarthy's I'll take him over McCarthy. I'll take him over Kyle Shanahan. I will take over Shanahan. Nick Sirianni. I would probably take over Sirianni's experience level. I wouldn't take him over Peterson. I'd take him over Peterson. I would take him over Zach Taylor. Um, Why am I can't? I'm blanking on Buffalo's coach. John McDermott. I don't know if I'd take him over McDermott. I'd take him over McDermott. I I don't know. I, I... I don't think I mean, he's a, I mean, that's, I don't think he's this level above everybody else. I think that's the difference uh, in these teams that are all close at the end. 
I like Andy more than I do any of them. Andy's been there, done that before. I, I and, and that to me is what I, I like here down the stretch is is what there's Andy brings to the table. No, there's still one. I'll listen to it. There's still one ring. He's only done it once. He's had a lot of really good teams. He's only finished the job the one time. And he has let the Mickey Mouse stuff get in the way. He let it happen last year. He let it happen when he was in Philly all those years. At the end of Philly, I don't think it was one. He only has stuff. one, but every coach in the league not named Bill Belichick only has one. That's true. Well, there's there's an argument to that too. He's had a lot of opportunities, though. He's had some he has some really good teams in Philly that should have got the job done. I mean, I didn't think McNabb was that great of a quarterback. Do what they did with McNabb was pretty. I think that McNabb was a good quarterback, but I think that Andy Reid made him better. I think the problem was at the end, the last couple of years of Andy Reid at Philly, I kind of throw those out because that whole roster was just a mishmash and they're having lots of other issues. But in the prime of Andy Reid in, in, in Philly, and look, he's a better coach now than he was then. Yes. But I do think a lot of the schoolyard stuff gets in the way. And well, I'm it, talking that until I until I would I feel like a lot of the schoolyard stuff went out the window when Tyreek Hill left town. I now see I thought that at the beginning of the year. I absolutely thought that for the first six to eight weeks of the year. Because I was so happy for the how they were playing. They were playing like a regular football team. I mean, that game against the Raiders was the first time Mahomes had completed past past 60 yards all year. Yeah, but the thing, but the, it, it isn't that. It's the different other little stuff. Ring around the posy. It's See, the, I, I, don't, I don't care about that. For me, it's like what I, Mahomes did. I don't care did. about it either. But let me finish. I, I let me finish. What Mahomes did to adapt this year of not having his deep threat, to rely on the pa- short passing game and make that work and become more efficient and be the MVP that he's about yeah. to be, Credit to Andy for Patrick and company for adapting to their personnel and still winning well, football games. It that does make Patrick a better player, but he had to become a better player because that's what he had to do anyway. He did, and he did it. Yeah, Losing Tyreek Hill, and this is why every week I kind of cringe when I hear the announcers talk about Tyreek Hill. Losing Tyreek Hill is the best thing that happened to Patrick Mahomes. It is. It plain and simply is. It will make him a better player. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. He's, he's about to win the MVP. Yeah. He has to play the position better. Now, what I've seen the last few weeks is he hasn't played the position better. They've gimmicked things up. Look, I'll say it like this. The MVP of the Chiefs this season is not Patrick Mahomes. It's Travis it's Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. It's Travis Kelsey, and he's the best. He's, he's not only the best tight end. You might argue he's the best receiver in the league. Yeah. And when he doesn't have a good game, the Chiefs are in trouble. And everyone's not game planning Mahomes now. They're game planning Kelsey. And, and he's that's what's he's happened in the last eight weeks. That's why they had problems. I mean, Denver almost got him. Um, I got to pull the schedule here, but – you look at some of these teams that almost got him here at the end of the year. They had some stinkers coming at the end of the year. And we haven't seen that signature go out there and dominate the game. I mean, look, I'm looking at it now. Okay, so the Broncos gave him a run. The Texans gave him a run. 
The Broncos gave them a second run. They lost to the Bengals. They, um, let's see, the Chargers almost beat them twice. The, the signature win is week five against the 49ers. But, again, it's a different team against week seven. I don't think it's any different. of that, your style points don't matter. It's not the BCS. It's just a matter of if you I win. No, but what I'm saying is that if your expectation is this, this is why the spread thing is a good argument for me, is that if the Chiefs have covered one spread in the last eight weeks, it's because they're not as good as everyone thinks they are, and they're not as good as they think they are. They shouldn't be struggling with the Texans and the Broncos. So now what are you going to do when next week when you play Buffalo? when you play the Bengals in the Super Bowl, if you get there against the 49ers or the Eagles, that's the problem. Now you couldn't put your team together against these teams. You squeaked out wins in some of these. I think we're going to learn a lot yeah. this week against Jacksonville. If they go out there so. and they dominate and they play their game. They'll be more impressed here. They are. I, yeah. But if they go in there and that game is 23, 20, then everyone should be on. I said all the Chiefs fans should be working. Defcon five, yeah, yeah, and, and like I said, the funny thing is, is that in the AFC there's three teams: the Chiefs are one of them, the Bengals and the Bills, and they all three believe they're the best team. Yeah, they all three believe. I and mean, they all have the, had the Bengals had don't care they're the three seed. So yeah, the Bengals don't care they're the three seed. They're already they're, they've been out there for two weeks saying. Hey, we don't care if we got to go to Buffalo and to Kansas City. They got to play us. Right. And Buffalo's saying, hey, okay, yeah, so we got to go play Kansas City in a neutral field. It's fine. They got to play us. Right. You know, the Chiefs are, are and, and, and the Chiefs players aren't saying, hey, you know, Arrowhead magic is something. The Chiefs truly believe they're a better team. Right. And they're saying, you got to come here. You got to play us. In fact, they've actually been pretty quiet. The Chiefs hit between those three yeah. teams; they've been the quietest of them. You know, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. I, We're not I, talking I, a whole lot. We're not. I hearing, think that I think there's a bullshit from uh, from Brittany Mahomes and and uh, uh, you know what's and his Jackson name? Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think there's a reason for that. I think these Chiefs know we haven't played our best game. Right. I like I, it personally. I like I it. They're being and they're doing I hope their I'm own. wrong. I hope the Chiefs win by 25. I don't think I'm wrong. We'll see. We got plenty more to get to. No, no, no more rambling, Bo. Uh, yeah, let's go. The uh, Lamar Jackson saga took an interesting twist this week. With yes. him not only not playing, but then the social media post um, was attention-grabbing a bit. Sean Payton criticized him, saying that it, he was out of line for that, for bringing attention to himself. And Sean Payton said he's done in Baltimore. He had all the different pundits saying Baltimore should trade him. His teammates came out and they backed him up publicly. He's deleted the Ravens from his social media and everything. We know about the contract situation. He wants the guaranteed money. They weren't wanting to give it to him. They just gave the deal to Roquan Smith. That frees up the franchise tag. Bo, um, this went from zero to 100 real quick. I think we all yeah. were pretty confident, you know, a couple months ago before the injury. They'll find a way to get a deal done. But the way this has twisted and turned the last couple of weeks, I think momentum is as big as ever 
for a trade right now uh, for Lamar moving on from Baltimore here. I, I, I think you're right. It's Before the injury, I think that they were going to make this thing happen. And then he gets hurt. And the idea of, man, Lamar gets hurt every year because he's gotten hurt two seasons in a row. And it's like, well, yeah, neither side has handled it really well. I think in, in Lamar's case, I kind of sympathize with it because – you could argue that if Lamar plays this past week, they beat the Bengals. But what were the likely odds of that? I just didn't – I don't see – I don't think Lamar even thought that. I he also think Lamar said – And he would have been playing, uh, you know, with uh, – A knee brace. Uh, knee brace. Yeah. And then the other piece of it is, if Lamar's there and he – what has the organization done for him in good faith through this injury to make him think he should put himself in the line? Right. I mean, that's the look, it's silly at the, it's silly at the very least, at least show up to Cincinnati and support his team. Sure. No, I, I, I do think that was wrong. I would have gone with my team. Um, but I do think that there's a, a thought that is, well, you know, if you're not going to show me the love. Why should I do it to you? And I know that it's it, that's like an opinion that's really hard for a lot of fans to understand because we all root for our teams. We almost root for them almost without thinking. We root for them and say, well, that's my team. That's my squad. But when they do something personal to you, if you feel like they've done something personal to you, which is how Lamar probably feels, you know, he's thinking they don't care about me. I'm just another another number in the in the in the ledger. Why should I care? Why should I put myself out there when in a couple of months I can go get a big contract somewhere else? Right. And, and so I don't disagree with Lamar, but I also don't like all the actions on it. I would have I would have gone with my team to the game. Yeah. And well, especially with Huntley being the quarterback, because they play similar, that there might have been some help that Lamar could have given him. Hey, do this and do this. Because their styles are similar, and they've been pretty friendly towards each other. Seem like things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hutley, Hutley is the backup there for a reason. It's because he is a similar styled quarterback to Lamar, so you don't have to change your offense if Lamar can't play. Now, here's what I wonder in Baltimore's perspective as far as this going forward, and we've seen the trade rumors and all that come up. Um, Lamar's 26 years old. Um, he wants the guaranteed money, obviously. If you're the Ravens, the the hard part for me and the idea of trading him is that teams spend years, decades, sometimes trying to find a franchise quarterback. I mean, right there within the own Ravens organization. He is without question the best quarterback they've ever had. Hell of a lot better than Flacco or Trent Dilfer. I mean... Do you want to go through this again of trying to find another quarterback? How long is it going to take you? I mean, you have a franchise quarterback right there. For me, the, the easy thing to do here is to make amends, give him his money, and go forward with Lamar here. I mean, I, I feel like I understand you may be hesitant on the guaranteed money, but you don't know what the inroad is if you try searching for another quarterback. Yeah, I, I – that's a, it's a great point of saying 
how do you replace him? You're not going to find that guy. This is a guy who's won an MVP. He's gone to the playoffs every year of his career. He has been a phenomenal player. Um, to me, he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league when he's healthy. I, you've got to pay. How are you going to replace him? That's a great point is how do I replace Who is it you're going to go find that's going to magically come in here with that receiving core and that offense? Who is an awful receiving core. Yes. I mean, awful. In an NFL level, awful. And how are you going to replace him? Who is it that you're going to bring in and all of a sudden is going to be the answer to your prayers? And I don't know that there is one. Also, you're I mean, you're going to take a, a flyer on a young quarterback? You're going to go get Will Levis, Anthony Richardson? I mean, you might get it, but you might not. And if you don't, you set your franchise back five more years. I I think when you've got the guy, it's so important to keep the guy. And I know that a lot of these franchises right now don't want to pay the guys, and they're all pretty pissed the Browns for the Deshaun Watson deal. I get it. But this is one where they've got to pay. I think pay. the only way that you involve a trade, I think, if you're Baltimore, is if you get a decent quarterback back and compensation. You cannot – I don't think if you're the Ravens, you can risk where you're at because your defense is, is a championship-caliber defense right now. And mm -hmm. you have really good backs and tight ends. I mean – it's just your receiving core and maybe a couple changes on the O-line, but you are, you are just a little bit away. You're not actually that far off from Cincinnati and Buffalo and Kansas city. You are close right now. Baltimore bowl is a lot closer to the top than they are the bottom. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you have Lamar, you have Lamar Jackson and then you get a one, number one receiver. Let's say you draft Jordan Addison. Maybe you trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Maybe you uh, get Jackson there's, Smith. I mean, there, you're right options. there. Yeah. There's going to be options available. And then, Michael I mean, for the love of Michael God, Thomas you got to be available to the, the, the trade for. I right. mean, there's some people who will be out there that you can get. For the and love of God, though, you don't have to move on from Greg Roman as your OC. He's off. Yeah, and, and I think that players will want to play with Lamar. Yeah. I, I if I'm Baltimore, plus being Baltimore, I, I don't want to get too political on this, but Baltimore is Baltimore. And to have Lamar as your quarterback is really a great idea. If you know what I mean. I I'll just spell that out. I mean, it's that's a that's a marriage made in heaven. How could you not do this if you were the Ravens? I've all season long have not understood how they have not made this deal yet. And I think that there's some external pressure throughout the league than to not pay some of these quarterbacks after what the, after what the Browns did with, with uh, Deshaun Watson. But look, it's coming due. The money's coming due for some of these guys. It's going to be this one. It's going to be Lamar. It's going to be Joe Burrow soon. It's going to be Justin Herbert soon. The, the cost of having a great quarterback has gone up. And do you really want to go back to not have – because if you want to win without one, we just went through all these teams, and we said the only one who has a chance to win right now without a great quarterback is the 49ers. 
and it's because they have an outstanding defense, one of the best offensive lines in the entire game. They have the best left tackle in the history of the damn game. They have the one of the best two or three running backs in the game, and they have studs all else over the field. One of the best tight ends, a couple of best receivers. They can be adequate at quarterback. There's literally no other team left in the top eight that's just adequate at quarterback. I mean, let's say be. that. Let's say real quick, if the Ravens have said to themselves they wanted to be the 49ers, okay, you got the defense part figured out. I'll give that okay. to you. Yeah. But your offensive line sucks. Not nearly as good. Your receiving core is awful. Awful. Your running backs are okay. J.K. Dobbins finished the year well yeah, coming back. Dobbins is really good, but you're going to have to get a speed back to go with it. Right. I mean, you are – if you're trying to be the Niners, you're not there. You're not – you are – your path to getting to the top is not being the Niners. It's investing in Lamar. Yeah. And the other thing to think about if you're the Baltimore Ravens, you're now in a division with the rebuilding – Cleveland Browns, rebuilding Steelers. You've got the Bengals sitting there with the right in the middle of their window, one of the best two or three teams in this whole league. And then if you do happen to win that division, you get in the playoffs, you've got to deal with Buffalo and Kansas City on your side of the bracket. Yeah. What are you going to need? You're going to need a quarterback who, when time comes, can make plays that can win games. There's not very many of them. He's one of them. Yeah. Hey, and you pay them. This is what sucks in this league. We've got – I'm a, one more rant here. They don't want Lamar Jackson, but there are teams lining up to go get 45-year-old Tom Brady. Right. Every one of those teams that's looking at Tom Brady ought to think about making a deal for Lamar Jackson and stuff. The Raiders look like one of those teams. I, I'd go do it. I'd no doubt in my mind, I'll take the one I know can win right now, and he's in his prime. And and the injury thing that everybody's making a big deal of, I think the Ravens are responsible for part of that because they didn't give him the offensive line to protect him. Yeah. And it wasn't – I know that he missed five games the last two years, but we're not talking like dealing with ACL tears with Lamar. No. And his style and what they've done with the run game – but they've had to have him run the ball more because their offense is so bad. And they don't have a dominant running back. So they've had to make Lamar that guy. Yeah, I, I'm i a fan of his. I would put him on my team in a heartbeat. Hey, I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. If my Saints could get him right now, I'd take it. Let's talk okay. a couple more quarterbacks here. Yeah, You mentioned Tom Brady. Um, Tom's year's done. A lot of speculation about what's next. Um, not saying what you think he should do, no. but what do you think he will do? Where is Tom Brady in 2023? In what what is your gut feeling? He ends up. I think he's going to end up at Fox in the booth. I think he's done. I hope so. I don't want to see him play for the Raiders. I rather. Last year, Bo, when when he announced he was retiring, I was disappointed. I'm like, well, he's just coming off the Super Bowl, and he threw 40 touchdowns this year. I'm not ready to be done with Tom Brady. And then this year I see things fell off. 
He didn't look like the same guy. He was frustrated at times. Now I'm like, I don't need Tom Brady in Vegas or trying to ride this out at the very end. We've seen the good. We've seen him win Super Bowls in multiple locations. I'm good now with the Tom Brady career. I'm fine. He doesn't need to play for – there's nothing to prove. You don't need to go out there and waste your time with the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, Tom Tom Brady this season looked like Johnny Unitas playing for the Chargers. He looked like John Namath playing for the Rams. Um, It's not who he is and who he should be remembered as. He's also 45 years old. 46. 46. I'm 47. I can barely get out of bed some days. I don't know how the hell he thinks he's going to play quarterback. He's great. He's had the greatest career in the history of the NFL. You might argue he's had the greatest career in the history of American team sports. But it's time. And I think deep down he knows it. And I think that there was something that he wanted to try this year. Could he make it happen? Yeah, maybe. I think even he knows that he's done. I mean, just his – I don't think – let me say it this way. I don't think he knows this moment that he's done, but I think he has a pretty good clue that he's probably done. I think what what he saw was the way the contracts were working um, that this past season – was one last chance to run it back with most of those guys. Yeah. And in this upcoming offseason, this is when things kind of go through the yeah. drastic change at Tampa. And I think he wanted to give it one more go with those guys before the big change was coming. The Bucks, yeah. I, I think the rebuild officially is on in okay. uh, in Tampa Bay at this point. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I, I wish him all the best. If he's coming back, it's not to play for the Bucs. He hurts his legacy if he comes back next season. Especially if he's playing for Josh McDaniels. That's not going to go well. Yeah, I agree. Um, Aaron Rodgers, your favorite quarterback. No, I'm going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. You, you love Aaron. You love talking about no, Aaron. I, I think Every offseason, we get to talk about Aaron now. What a it just gets old. Uh, well, we might as well get it in here now. Um. He uh he says he doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild, only wants to play for the Packers. Uh if he can play at an MVP caliber in their contending team. Um, we know that Aaron Rod that uh that uh Jordan Love doesn't want to be there if he is the backup. Uh, Bo Green Bay has some decisions to make, it would appear. Yeah. Uh, it- Multiple decisions to make, really. Yeah, so they got to figure out this Jordan Love situation, too, Um, which is interesting to me because how do you not know what you got with Jordan Love yet? I still don't know. And they got to know this season because this is it. Um, Either got to extend him or let him go. They backed themselves into that corner. Rodgers... He's got every reason to stay because he's going to get the most money if he stays in Green Bay. He's going to get $60 million next year. But that salary can be manipulated with the cap and everything else to trade him. We're going to hear all these Aaron Rodgers answers every two weeks when he's on Pat McAfee's show about, well, I just want to do the best situation for myself and my mental health and everything else. I just want to slap Aaron Rodgers and say, 
shit or get off the pot, as we say in the South. Just just figure out what it is the fuck you want to do and do it and quit messing around. So this is why I've decided on my podcast, I'm not talking about Aaron Rodgers until Aaron Rodgers, there is news, until he has done something. Because I'm just tired of it. And I look, I, I have said for years, the physical talents, he is the most physically talented quarterback I've ever seen. He is a top 10 quarterback of all time, maybe a top five quarterback of all time. But physically, he can still do it. He still has everything. He has some injury issues with the hand this year. You could tell it wasn't great. He's still going to be a quality quarterback for another year or two. He could go to a good situation, but he's right that he shouldn't want to go to a rebuild. But he's part of the reason they're in a rebuild now. All that money he took. That money he took, the way he restructured things. And then a lot of it also has to go with the Packers of saying, well, they wanted to keep Aaron happy, but then they didn't get players that keep adding in. And they trade Devontae Adams. They still don't know if they have a backup quarterback. It's a bit of a shit show as well. I I understand where Rodgers is coming from, but I think it's time for him to just say, trade me or don't trade me, but let's get this shit done. Yeah, he's got to say done right. there, there, there shouldn't be new speculation every week on Aaron Rodgers. It's just, it's, it's, it's asinine at this point. Um, you know, the, the Packers are an interesting situation, obviously, because they went from drafting Jordan Love to Rodgers winning the MVP to apologizing for drafting Jordan Love. And now in this predicament of this stranglehold they're at coming off an 8-9 season, um, if you're Green Bay, do you uh, – if you are going to rebuild – then don't you make the call and say, Aaron, we're in re- we're going to rebuild just flat up front. Nothing against you, but we're looking to the future. We want to give Jordan a shot. Where do you want to play? We'll trade you. I mean, you that can is, have a good ending here, right? I mean, this can all be exactly That is exactly and precisely what the Packers could do and should do. The problem with the Packers. It can be a happy ending still. It can be civil. Yes. Yes, and, and this season, has he was great through the season with all this stuff with the Packers. It should go that way, and the reason it hasn't is because there is not one leader at the top. Yeah. The way the Packers are structured with that board, there's no there's no owner, no president. They're publicly held, all other stuff. You have to have one voice. If this were any of the other 31 teams in the league, the owner would be involved and say, Aaron, we love you. We want you to stay, but shut the fuck up. Or Aaron, we love you, but it's past your expiration date. We're going to trade you. We want to be your partner in this where you want to go. Yeah. That's it. It's not a hard conversation to have. It just has to be done. And no one in the Packers organization apparently has the balls to do it. Right. 
So if the Bears would like to have somebody come do it, reach out to me at oagks.com. Hit the contact me link. Make me the general manager of the Packers, and I'll figure this thing out for you. I don't know what else to tell them. I can only fix so many things. I I think they are, you know, we we talked about how the Ravens are closer to the top than they are the bottom. I think the Packers are closer to the bottom than they are the top. And in their case, in their best interest, I I think it's time to go full on in on rebuild mode. Great Aaron, be helpful. See where he wants to go. See what you have in Jordan Love, and then and then even then, it by if you figure, I don't think it hurts you to start Jordan Love this year, because if it doesn't work, go pick a quarterback next year. I would absolutely start Jordan Love this year. There'd be no doubt he'd be my starting quarterback right now. And it doesn't hurt you if it doesn't work. No, it's just you know what you got, and you move on. You let him go as a free agent, and say, okay, we appreciate it, thank you, I'm sorry we fucked you over. But the. The Packers aren't doing these sort of things because they don't think that way. That's not who they are. Right. Now, you're right. They're closer to the bottom than they are the top. And if you look in their division, they're already behind in the rebuild for two of their other teams in this division. The Bears are already ahead of them because they've got a franchise quarterback. The Lions are way ahead of them in a rebuild. And the Vikings are the most talented team in the division. They just got a really shitty quarterback. Right. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is with the Packers next year, they may not finish last in the division, but he's not going to help them win the division. Right. And they're not going to be a playoff favorite. And they're not going to be a Super Bowl contender with or without Aaron Rodgers next year. Right. So what do you do? You have to make the hard decisions. That's why these guys at the top are paid billion, are paid millions of dollars. Just get it done. Make the decision and don't mess around like they did last year with. It. They did last year was unforgivable for both sides. Right. And I understand Aaron Rodgers being upset because the Packers never said, "Here's what we want to do." They wanted Aaron Rodgers to make a decision, and Rodgers was saying, "It's not my job to make a decision. It's your job. You're the owner." Yeah, why well, on my podcast we have a moratorium on Aaron Rodgers talk until he they either cut him, trade him, or some other great news comes out. But there's no speculation talk on my podcast. Oh, that was a great conversation. I know you love that ball. That was uh, that was I, a There, I gave you more than you wanted on Aaron Rodgers. Oh yeah, you you were invested. You were all in on all that. Um, last thing, we'll, uh, we'll end on this. I know we've gone long today, but we've had a lot to cover. I'm, um, I'm coaching search-wise, Bo, I think I said this to you last week. I know I've said it to other people, but I think I said it to yeah. you. The jobs that are open right now are not good. They are bad yeah. jobs. All of them are bad jobs. And that's why I think you saw Jim Harbaugh say, nah, I'm good staying in Michigan. Sean Payton probably, I don't think, is going to end up taking a job. He probably ends up staying back in TV. Um, I mean, usually we are talking about, it seems like, Bo, not not enough good, um, you know, let, let me put it this way, that there are usually too many openings with bad coaches getting hired. 
And in this yeah. case, there the the candidates for the rare exception are better than the jobs that are open this time around. Um, yeah. it's a it's a very interesting predicament, and somebody here is going to be a head coach that that has no business or that uh or let me put it this way um somebody here is going to be a head coach that has no business being one because the smart coaches know that they shouldn't be taking these bad jobs yeah yeah i don't disagree i think the big thing with this is i think about it and i go okay every job has warts right denver should be the best job young players on the offense around russell wilson money is an issue no draft capital is an issue. They'll pay the coach, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, they got the rich owner. They got the rich owner, and that, that could get Sean Payton to do something. But you like Russ. You got to like Russ a whole lot. And I don't think anyone likes Russ that much. Carolina is a complete rebuild, and there's just not anything there that you would go. Huh, this is interesting. They don't have a brevy of picks. They do have money. Their their owner is willing to pay and he's willing to he wants to win. Um, the Sean Payton end on that one, if you want to talk about him on each of these, the Saints are not letting him go in division unless they get a massive haul of draft picks back. The other openings you've got, um oh, give me the other ones real quick. I'm thinking. Houston is the one that actually I got talked into saying is the best one right now. We'll get to that in a minute. Who are the other two? There's five of them total. It's Carolina, Arizona, Indianapolis, Arizona. Yeah, Arizona. Yeah. Denver. We got them all. So Arizona, the warts on it is not a lot of draft capital. The the cupboards are a little bare, and you have to like Kyler Murray, and he's gonna miss half a season. So you yeah. won't be installing your offense with your starting quarterback. Right. Um, Indianapolis, you got bad ownership, no quarterback, and not a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. That's why I think, and this is crazy. I wouldn't have said this two weeks ago. I kind of got talked into this a little bit, but I really think it's true. The best opening may be the Houston Texans. You got the number two pick in the draft, $40 million in salary cap. Um, which is going to be even more coming up. You've got a whole bunch of draft capital in the next couple of years because of the Watson trade. And you can, if you're a coach, you can pick your quarterback because you're going to get one of the good ones in this draft. That might be the best open job. But you got bad ownership. But the, the ownership isn't great. Yeah, because you've got um, the wife of the original, and that's always an issue. Right. And I don't mean that in a female way. I mean, it's like she's hanging around because there's a lot of money to be made in the team and not necessarily about spending the most money to help make the team better. Right. So, yeah, I I find it interesting. There's there's warts on all these. I don't know, but I think the – and I'm probably the only one thinking this. Uh, it was Uncle Rico talking to me in this on my podcast. Houston might be the best opening. It's not the best immediate opening. It's not the best to try to win now. That's Denver. But the best that if you can get a five-year deal and you get some patience from ownership 
and you really want to put your stamp on a team, it's that team. Um, the best job that could have been open that I don't think will now was that Charger job. Brandon Staley committed a fireball offense with that performance on yeah. Saturday. And he went in and threw his OC and his quarterback coach into the, you know what they say uh, um, they said on House of Cards when they when the when the, the meet, when they're coming for you kill someone and throw them some fresh meat and that's what he did. <laughs> he just killed the OC and the quarterback's coaches. Well, they're the reason we couldn't score and just threw it at him. Right. Well, sold out Joe Lombardi and said, no, I can't do this anymore. Get these guys out of here and get me a real OC. And I was making the joke a couple of little bit ago saying, if you're an offensive coordinator who does not have a job right now, or you're a head coach who can become an offensive coordinator, is Brandon Staley's phone blowing up right now? Like, I would call him every hour on the hour for that job. Sounds like, Joe, Brady. Sounds like Joe Brady's going to get that job, too. Uh, give me that. Ju- Justin Herbert, those receivers, Austin Eck. I- I'll take it. Let's go. <laughs> I'd be faxing. Play- I'd be emailing him. Play Joe Brady is OC. That team is going to be unreal. If Is Joe Brady going to be the OC? That's what it sounds like. If Joe Brady goes in there, now look, we've seen two Joe Brady's. If we get Carolina Panthers Joe Brady, that ain't very good. We need Saints slash LSU Joe Brady. If we get LSU Joe Brady, holy shit. (laughs) Because Herbert can do those things. He can play that offense. They have the receivers. They have the running back. And they have the defense – that's what you want on the flip side of that type of offense. Pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, because you're going to get into shootouts. Right. Yeah. I, I, if I was an OC, if I was a head coach that had been fired, I would have been calling Staley every hour. I, I want this job. I want this job. I want this job. That's I, the I best at, available job in the NFL. I look at Staley, Bo, and I mean, I, I think he did commit a fireball uh, offense. Um, I don't think anybody would have been too upset had they fired him, but I've still seen enough too. Where I'm like, man, I'm like, man, this guy he can coach, and he's a smart guy. He's a good motivator, good leader. I mean, he knows his analytics and everything, but I mean, he's still very young. I mean, I I feel like it's Staley is one of those guys, Bo, and, and maybe this is even a reach. Tell me if you think this. I feel like he needs to to face adversity of some sorts of get fired, have a wake-up call that, hey, I got some figuring out, and then go get that second head coaching job. Like, I, I think that he's he's a good coach, but he's got some growing up to do. Well, I think what I would do in that case is I would do what McVay did. I think, like, when McVay got the Rams job, the smartest thing he did was he went and got his old school, a defensive coordinator as he could, and basically made him assistant head coach. And that yeah. being um, um, uh, Phillips, Wade Phillips. Yeah, Wade Phillips. Go get a guy like that to be your assistant head coach. Yeah. To say, hey, I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to bring in a guy who can help me mature and can be a, a help to both my offense and my defense. Because if I'm going to hire, especially if I'm hiring Joe Brady to be my offensive coordinator, I need to bring in an old school guy. I need to bring in someone who's an OG, respected by everybody. 
I go get Lovey Smith. Yeah. I go get a that type. I mean, just someone who's universally respected. I mean, everyone respects that guy and say, look, he's not the head coach, but he's second in command of the ship. And I need, and I would tell him, I need you to set me straight when I'm messing up. When I say something that's off brand, or if we do something that's immature, you need to let me know so that we can get this where we need to be. Right. That was the thing about, like I said, McVay did that, and it was the smartest thing he can do. And he did it with a defensive coordinator. That's what I would do in this case if I was somebody, standing. I, I see what you're saying. Like you're, Lovey you know, that could tell Brandon. There's got to be a way to see, but he's got to think of it instead of getting fired and going to a second position, he's got to think, how I fix this now? Right. Somebody like Lovey that could say, Staley, you idiot, we're not going for it on fourth and eight on our own end. Stop. Yes. That. Yeah. Lovey to go to be in the headset. Everybody who has the head, the main headset, has to have someone who tells them bad decision. Let's not do that. You know, call a timeout. Even if you're the only one that hears them. Right. And and, and I, I've done that myself. I've had somebody be the person to talk to me. And I that person's job during the game day was simply don't let me make a mistake. If I do something, yell in the headset, I'm the only one who can hear you, and tell me and I'll call a timeout. And it works. We uh, we covered a ton of ground today. There was so much to talk about. Going to be a hell of a week. Um, You know, and then we get down to this final stretch. Super Bowl Sunday will be here in a few weeks. Bowl, we're out of time. What's coming up on the the podcast here uh, the next couple days? We just recorded a little bit ago. Uncle Rico and I got a full playoff uh, preview for this week, for this weekend. And then Ellen and I will be on on Saturday getting ready for college basketball. We'll talk about KU, K-State, and both those. That big game this past week. Uh, We got a lot to go over in there. So it's going to be a wild weekend of a couple different pods and a lot of stuff going on all over. So we'll have plenty plenty to talk about. Plenty to discuss, Bo. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Hey, thank you, Tyler. You have a good week. Final segment before we go. Time for our top four story of the week. And Derek Hacklin is back here with us as uh, we tell you about something ridiculous happening in the world. And this time, Derek, we're uh, going to the land of Tiger King. You know, it was uh, around this time three years ago that we had the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in the U.S. And, you know, Tiger King premiered during the middle, you know, right at the start of the pandemic. I mean, that that feels like, Derek, all of that was yesterday or something. And, I mean, here we are three years later, and we have a very important story that we're uh, getting to here on the Tiger King case. Isn't, isn't that crazy? Tiger King is still king, and I don't know really anybody in um, <laughs> the when the pandemic was first beginning that hadn't seen Tiger King. I think it everybody was, watched it. Yeah, it was it was it was Tiger King and the Last Dance, and you either saw him or you didn't. Yeah, and you had to see him right away too. It was much yeah. it was appointment television viewing. We had nothing had, better had, to do. Every opportunity to binge watch. Yes, every opportunity to binge watch. So, a interesting follow-up story uh, we have for you. This cur- this comes courtesy of uh, People Magazine. Animal activist Carol Baskin's missing ex-husband Don Lewis 
who's vanishing in 1997 is chronicled in the Netflix series Tiger King is alive and well in Costa Rica. She claimed in a recent resurfaced 2021 television interview. The theory that Lewis was alive was first floated in 2021's Netflix sequel, Tiger King 2. I never saw Tiger King 2 myself. Yep. I had, uh, I had Tiger enough King Tiger King. Was, yeah, Tiger King 1 was enough for me. Right. Being from Oklahoma, I had enough exposed about my home state. You know, we, we had enough of a bad rap from Joe Exotic. I didn't need any more of that. Did, uh, did you ever go to that zoo? I didn't. Thomas did, but I didn't. Okay. My okay. mom actually went to went to college or went to high school with the judge that sentenced Joe Exotic. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So here's how the story goes. In the series, producers show documents alleging from the Department of Homeland Security that uh, portrayed uh, to describe Lewis's whereabouts in Costa Rica. It's unclear whether the documents depicted on Tiger, T- Tiger King 2 are legitimate. Baskin 61, who runs a big cat sanctuary in Florida, reiterated the theory that Lewis is still living on the Irish IT or the British ITV show this morning in 2021. She told this morning she believed Homeland Security had been in contact with Lewis. They said, My husband, Don Lewis, is alive and well in Costa Rica, and yet all of this drama has been made about me having to do with his disappearance when Homeland Security had first known where he is. In a statement to People, Baskin said, in part, I've mentioned it to more than 60 interviews I've done since then, where reporters asked about Don, so I'm surprised everyone in the press is acting like they aren't aware of it. I was not aware of the Homeland Security document saying Don was alive and well in Costa Rica until TK2 aired in November 2021. People reached to uh, Homeland Security but has not heard back yet. Baskin also told this morning in 2021, when presented a letter that looks to be from Homeland Security saying that Don was alive and well five years after I saw him last time, I reached out to the FBI and said, I want a copy of that letter. I want to know what it says because part of it was redacted. I don't know who the people involved were. There's still an open missing persons case for Lewis, however, and the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office told TMZ, and the New York Post that the office still considers Lewis missing. Um, I so, still think she. So, to kind of put this all in a nutshell, Baskin is saying that she's been told by Homeland Security that he's alive and well in Costa Rica. But even then, Derek, we still have not heard comment from him. It's been three years now, not to mention how long he's been apparently just you know gone since 1997. How is he, if he is alive and well, why is he himself not come out and made a statement, I'm fine? Why would you? There's no way that this guy is just totally isolated and living under a rock and just sits there and doesn't know that people think he's dead. No, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I still, still think, think he's, I still think that she killed him. 100%. I think she fed him to her tigers. Yeah. I, there's, there's no way that this guy is alive at this point. I'm calling, I'm calling total bullshit. Here, kitty, kitty. That's what we need to be playing right now.
Um, I think that's what she did. Absolutely. I don't think he's alive. I think he's dead. I think this is a cover up. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but if you ask me, I do believe that she killed her husband. Yeah. I mean, until he actually comes forward and says something, there's no reason to believe that's the thing. Like I, I see all the, the, the articles that have come out the last couple of days, Derek, you know, New York post people magazine, all these others. And they're taking Carol at her word. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get that. Um, by I, the way, I, go ahead. I, I, I don't agree with it. I think she's lying. I don't think he's alive. I don't think he's in Costa Rica. Uh, I, I don't believe any of that. I think it's all bullshit. Maybe, uh, maybe he's uh, hanging out uh, with uh, Sam Bakeman Freed of uh, FTX down there. May, may, maybe. Maybe Elvis is down there, too. Right? Right? Oh, my gosh. There's, there's a lot of different directions this could go. Uh, and to think, you know, she's walking around free and living her life. And Joe Exotic, still three years later, Derek, is still in prison. How much time does he have left? I can't remember. He's got like 22 years to go. That's right, man. Yeah. Um, I still don't blame him for what he tried to do. I'm not going to lie. Judge me on that, America. <laughs> I always thought, like, you know, he was screwed over when it came to, um, you know, the the whole, you know, death for hire and all that. I, I thought he got yeah. screwed over there. But I do think he did deserve jail time for the, the animal abuse. I thought that was fair. Absolutely. I did, too. I agree with that. Um, But and he thought he was uh, going to get a pardon at one point. Uh, that, that didn't happen, uh, I, I guess. No, he thought he was going to get a pardon from Trump. He had a limo waiting and everything, and uh, Trump <laughs> never pardoned him. The, the the limo outside was the the best part. That was like, yeah. huh. didn't move for a couple days, and then it left because he wasn't coming out. Uh, have you uh, you ever ridden to, in a limo? I have, yes, uh, for a couple uh, family funerals. Okay. My yeah. uh, my one limo experience, uh, I was in Vegas, and it was taking me somewhere. Nice. I respect that. I won't ask where. Probably <laughs> like the a, probably like the AVN Awards or something. It was uh, it was taking me someplace where, let's just say that I got free drinks. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it was quite the limo hookup. That was my one uh, my one limo ride uh, there. Tiger King, uh, that was uh, that, that was quite a time. I mean, we'll we'll never be able to repeat any of that ever again. Like I, no. I want to do it again, believe me. But I mean, that was that was a unique experience for its time. That that thing came out at the right time. Like it would not have been as highly viewed and watched had a global pandemic not fallen at its doorstep. And everybody was like, you got to see this. I just remember, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like, oh, you know, I own all this. He's like, he does all this, and he lives in the middle of bumfuck Oklahoma. <laughs> that, dude, that dude was one of my favorite people that entire series. I don't remember his name, but I loved that guy. Yeah, and it was accurate. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yes. 
There's some cool people in Oklahoma. Man, uh, and, and Oklahoma still hasn't lived it down since. So No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, whenever Joe gets out of prison, we'll, uh, I'm sure it'll be quite the triumphant return back to, back to Oklahoma someday, you know. And yes, absolutely. That occurs. Uh, Derek, uh, we got to wrap up before we go, man. Uh, we mentioned you got some exciting stuff in the works uh, that you'll announce here soon. Where can yep. people uh, find you and, and follow you and see all what you're doing, man? Yeah, just give me a shout at uh, DT underscore Hagland on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can catch everything. And then once this news drops, there'll be even more places to see it, too. That's awesome. Uh, that does it for us uh, this week here on the Jones Report. Big thanks to uh, Jared Sutton for stopping by, Bo Connor, uh, Derek for stepping in for Thomas this week, and you, the listener, for joining us as always. Subscribe to the show. New episodes every week. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And uh, also drop us uh, a like uh, as well. And uh, we certainly would appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tyler Jones Live. Studio Soapbox is also on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, you can follow the show on Instagram at Jones underscore report. That does it for this week for our entire crew. I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.